happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, If you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. Hello everyone, Uh, it's me today, James, and I'm joined by Bedavan from the YPJ Information Office. And we're going to discuss today uh, Rojava and uh, chiefly the the Turkish bombing campaign against it, which has been happening in the last few weeks and the last few months and and the last few years. So we wanted to set that in context for you and and everyone's attention has been very much focused on other conflicts, but that doesn't mean that this one isn't important. And uh, it's one that obviously listeners will be familiar with. So we wanted to bring you an update on that. Welcome, Berivan. Hello, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, I'm very happy to be here today. Good. Let's start by, I think, just in case people need a refresher or they, they haven't listened to some of the other stuff, talk about what's happening in Brojava and, and why, they, I guess, why it's important and why it's unique and what makes it special. Okay, so actually right now in Rojava, for more than uh, 10 years, there's a revolution uh, happening. I think most people heard that, for example, in 2011 and so on, there was like something called the Arab Spring. But actually in the same time, in this region in North and East Syria, actually also called like in the northern eastern part of Syria, there's a region called uh, Rojava. Uh, which is like a big part Kurdish population. There's also Christian population, like Assyrian, Armenian population, and also Arab uh, population. Like it's a very like colorful region, you can say. <laughs> so in this region, 2011, in this time, and then 2012, a revolution uh, started. 
which is actually based on a long-term struggle of the Kurdish movement and its experiences. And the revolution was uh, like mostly based on the idea to gain uh, democratic autonomy and to gain like democratic self-administration. Why? Mm -hmm. uh, because like the Syrian regime on the one hand was like very oppressive uh, towards uh, Kurdish people. And on the other hand, like it was like an authoritarian uh, regime. So there was like this uh, wish to create uh, something different, uh, which was actually created here in the region in uh, Rojava. Yeah. So I think this we can say first, like what happened was that a revolution started and until today it's uh, continuing. Like it's a very uh like basic change of people's life we can say that happened here like yeah. democratic administration in all areas of life and also like for example a great deal of uh, women's organization uh, to achieve also women's freedom so uh, this revolution is like based on these principles of democratic self-administration of uh, women's freedom and also of ecology yeah Perhaps you could explain to people who aren't familiar that a little bit more about the women's revolution, because I think that is something that, that's extremely unique and, and uh, that, that people might not have, like, other, if they've heard of it, perhaps they haven't really, you know, I think the mainstream press doesn't cover it particularly well. So if you could explain, like, maybe something about the co-chair system or the, the relationship between yourselves and the Yepige and, and how that works. Yeah, so actually I was uh, just starting, like, speaking about the uh, like when the revolution was happening so from the beginning mm -hmm. on like women also took place in it <laughs> like which was already the case in the kurdish freedom movement in general like that woman was uh, like equally were equally taking part in it and uh, also uh, always founded their own organizations like um, not like a substitute to a general organization or something like this but actually like their own organization that at the same time uh, cooperate with the general organization so there was already this principle of women's autonomy. So this was also adopted in uh, Rojava. So in all areas, which also includes like uh, political areas, areas of daily life, but also military field, uh, women organized. Uh, so actually in uh, the beginning of the revolution, there were like the society's uh, kind of self-defense forces uh, building up. And uh, in the beginning, there were already women in it. And uh, then there was uh, also the foundation of uh, YPG, like the People's Defense Forces. But uh, after this, also the YPG, the Women's Protection Units, were founded. Uh, so actually, it's like a fully uh, autonomous uh, women's uh, unit uh, that take care of uh, defending their homeland on the one hand, but on the other hand, also made like a great uh, deal of change in the society in the daily life of women because in the region that was before like uh, maybe to some deal like feudal or like uh, because of the authoritarian state like there was no protection for women's rights or something uh, like this mm -hmm. uh, and for example there was like this traditions of marrying uh, women at a young age or something like this Yep. So this was actually changed by this woman's revolution. Like the everyday life uh, of women was uh, changed and is still changing. Like it's still a struggle because it means uh, changing the society in general. Yeah. 
so there's like in every area of life today, there's like autonomous women's organization in Rojava existing, which makes it maybe the most like profound uh, women's revolution that until now uh, is happening, I think. So it's like really important example, I think, for women everywhere in the world. Yeah, very much so. And it, it is a genuinely profound change having spent a little bit of time there earlier this year. Um, that it, it, and it's very notable as you spent a lot of time in that part of the world, how different things are. And then perhaps we should talk about uh, the the battle against uh, the so-called Islamic State or Daesh or ISIS or whatever you want to call it and the role that um, the YPG, YPJ and SDF played in that um, can you explain a little about about that fight and and the the fighting that happened and also like the tremendous number of people who who died fighting or were martyred in in, in the language that is used by the revolution about them so like uh in general i think um everyone in the world first uh listen to the name of the ypj the women's protection units in the in relationship to isis uh, but actually, from the beginning on, uh, they fought like against this kind of, uh, let's say, like different, like fundamentalist or mercenary groups that were uh, existing uh, in the region. And uh, when ISIS was coming up, uh, like the biggest or most uh, known battle uh, that actually the world for the first time really saw was uh, the battle for Kobani, where, for example. Uh, the YPJ uh, was like very, very limited possibilities and the YPJ uh, fought uh, against uh, uh, ISIS and actually uh, succeeded like to defeat ISIS and to defend the city of Kobani, which was kind of like a breaking point where things started to turn around. Or we have also have the point where, uh, for example, Shengal was attacked, which is like in South Kurdistan, it's not like in the Iraq region, it's not uh, even the same region, but uh, the YPJ also played like a role in opening a, a corridor for uh, the people who tried to flee for the Yazidi people, who like are people who have uh, faced like many genocides in history. And uh, in order to save them from the genocide of ISIS, uh, the YPJ opened a, a corridor to uh, help them to flee. So, and there are like uh, many uh, stories, or like in the end, the liberation of uh, the city of Raqqa, uh, which was kind of known like as the center of uh, ISIS, which uh, also we can say like uh, the women's force played like a pioneer or vanguard uh, role in this. So, there are many examples where we can say like how deciding, uh, for example, and the struggle of the YPJ was for the defeat uh, of ISIS. And I think, uh, on the other hand, we also have to say that ISIS is not completely defeated because it's seeing like some uh, support from outside uh, structures like from Turkey. So there are still some like uh, cells or, for example, uh, there are a lot of detain uh, detainees like before that was happening at uh, try to break out from the detention centers in 2022. Uh, so it's not like it's completely uh, vanished from the earth, but the actual defeat mm -hmm. uh, was like reached by the YPJ and the uh, YPJ force. Uh, yeah, I think 
it's very important to talk like you spoke about those like uh, incarcerated ice former ISIS fighters, right? And, and their attempt to break out. I think that's maybe a good chance for us to talk about like some other former ISIS fighters. Uh, and, and like starting in, uh, I think it was called Turkey called it Operation Peace Spring. I think right, like the uh, these these Turkish incursions into uh, into into Rojava and into like uh, and and into uh, like Syrian territory. Can you explain a little bit about like how? I guess this will get us to the modern day and and the bombing. But like, perhaps you can explain how this started. Obviously, Turkey has been opposed to the Kurdish freedom movement since its inception, uh, right? Since the very beginning in, in the like last century. But um, perhaps you could explain like this series of ongoing Turkish aggressions a- against what's happening in Java now, and like how that began and how that's manifested itself uh, over the years. So yeah, it's like uh, after um, ISIS was defeated to uh, some degree, actually Turkey for itself started occupation attacks. Uh, like in uh, 2018-19 and uh, started uh, the occupation was uh, first against Afrin and then against Serikania and uh, Girisbi, which are all like very important regions of Rojava that are like directly next to the Turkish border, like you see Rojava is uh, like directly mm, in between Syria and uh, Turkey, like next to the Turkish border. So mm-hmm. uh, they directly attack these uh, cities next to the border, which actually most of Rojava cities are directly next to the border. Yeah. Uh, like right and uh, they occupied them. Yeah, I think that's important to understand like a little bit. Because yes, uh, actually there are Turkish plans to occup- occupy like uh, um, the region along the border, not only the cities that they occupied until now. with a very, very violent war uh, with using aircraft and so on. Like also in the last years, uh, Turkey very much invested into uh, drone technology and so on. And they used also ch- uh, chemical weapons, like in very famous in 2019, the video of a young child named Mohammed went around the world that, like, uh, was like uh, burned by phosphorus mm-hmm. uh, in Serikania in the occupation attack. So, like, actually, it's a like a war that is mostly fought also with the most like dirty. Yeah, uh, methods that took his waging on the region, and after this, like uh, we can say, like after Serkani was uh, occupied, uh, Turkey actually continued uh, to attack uh, with a war that you cannot say like at this time it start and then this time it end. It's more like continuous mm-hmm. attacks. So on the one hand, like uh, some areas are always uh, getting bombed in the last years, like for example like with artillery shelling and so on, like uh, Sherba next to Afrin or uh, Ein Isa or Tilchemel. So like the areas that are close to the occupied uh, areas where now Turkey and mercenary forces uh, are stationed, they constantly attack more or less the regions. Mm-hmm. But also with the drone war. Like the first, I think, very like... Uh, clear example of what uh, was the Turkish strategy like in the last years uh, was on the 23rd uh, June 2020 uh, when Turkey killed uh, three uh, 
uh, Women of uh, Congress, also Women's Movement, like the Civil Women's Movement, uh, in Kobani, in the village, uh, which were all like, two of them were like in the leadership of the Civil Women's Movement, and one was just like a member, and they were sitting in the garden and they were talking. And uh, at this time, like a Turkish drone strike, and they all uh, lost their lives. So, like, a lot of these kind of attacks happened after this. Like, against, uh, and, like, let's say, like, uh, civil leaders of society, like politicians, uh, normal people also, like, uh, on the 25th of December, actually, also, yeah. uh, on Christmas in 2021. Uh, five, uh, five children, yeah. like young people, like uh, youth from the youth movement, uh, were killed uh, in Kobani also. Yeah. Like uh, they just when they were sitting in the garden, like members of the youth center, like a Turkish stone struck, three of them like uh, young girls, and uh, this continued. Or also we can say like uh, leaders of, uh, for example, YPJ also. Uh, like on uh, the 22nd of uh, July last year, there was a conference happening for celebrating 10 years of women's revolution in Rojava. Mm -hmm. And just on the same day, Turkey targeted the car uh, of uh, three YPJ members. One of them was Gian uh, Toldan, yeah. who also spoke on the same day on the conference. So actually, it's quite clear what Turkey actually once they want to like destroy uh, the revolution that's happening in Rojava, like the women's revolution. Mm -hmm. And in general, like this change that is happening, they want to create like the fear to stay away, to obey to the Turkish occupation forces. Uh, and they're using a lot of violence, like also in the occupied areas, like the people are right now living there, they cannot speak their language. They have to fear. Sometimes they cannot close the uh, house doors. Sometimes people get uh, like abducted, like without anyone knowing why or where they go. Will they go to the prison? Will they be in a prison or will they be tortured or yeah, like a very kind of uh, oppressive regime? Yeah. Uh, now in the occupied uh, areas. Yeah, and those are people who like I've met. Uh, when when they come here, right? People who have lost, like I spoke to a guy, a mayor, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, his his father had been killed, his uncle had been killed, and, and like he was like, "What should I do? Should I should I wait to be like the last person in my family, and, and then who gets killed?" Or, or like it, it's it's very the conditions for those people in the the Turkish occupied parts of northern Kurdistan are very very difficult and oppressive, and I think like. Just to build off what you said, like it's important that people realize that these killings of, especially like people in the women's revolution, but but also you know uh, people in, uh, in in the Rojava revolution more generally, it's not um, drone strikes are extremely targeted, right? Like they can you know, follow a car from an event and strike it. Uh, like it's these kind of these things are not it's not like it's not like artillery or mortars it's not like you're sending it into an area like they're extremely targeted to an individual or a group of individuals rather than you know a random attack so like this is a, a distinct choice that's being made 
Well, let's talk about the most recent bombings because I think there were some particularly egregious ones, even by uh, the standards of, um, of of this this campaign, which has been pretty egregious from the beginning. But um, December, ar- around the week of Christmas this year, um, just to give people a time sort of period, there was a bombings of a, if I'm not wrong, a printing press, a dialysis facility. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, there was there was also another host, like not hospital, like uh, as a big hospital. Let's say like a medical point also in Kobani, where doctors without borders. I think it's like kind of a known NGO. They were also working there. Yeah. And the oxygen center also. So like medical places, there were like normal factories of uh, of food production. Uh, like you said, the printing house. There were many places like this, like uh, of daily infrastructure. Uh, that were targeted like before already in October infrastructure was targeted and also last year there was attack like this and yeah. every time at least 10 civilians got killed like in all of these attacks so now I think the overall number just of these three waves of attacks is already like 31 killed uh, civilians so like maybe drone strikes are very targeted but it's not like uh, Turkey doesn't want to kill civilians yes. or takes care not to kill civilians like already in the attacks of uh, last year, there was uh, examples of double tap attacks, for example, which are actually illegal. Uh, so I think it's very important to say, like also this uh, targeting of medical points, of medical yeah. infrastructure, that what Turkey is doing is not according to international law. Like the, that's uh, not the case. Mm-hmm. Like Turkey is kind of acting like <laughs> however it wants, targeting uh, civilians creating like fear and also like uh, in a region that is already poor, Yani, you have to say, like the possibilities that have been created, like uh, like for daily needs and so on, for supplies of electricity, uh, of like heating fuels and so on for your house. Yeah, uh, yeah. They are very affected like this right now. So, like, in general, there's, like, a big shortcoming of everything right now in Rojava. And right. this because of Turkey's attacks. So, this is actually affecting everyone. And on the other hand, Turkey tried to create, like, this fear, like, there's just some wave of attack and just targeting everywhere. So, uh, they want to displace, actually, the population. Mm-hmm. And also to commit... Like uh, the politics of the Turkish state, especially against Kurdish people and also against the uh, Christians, is very much like potentially like genocidal politics. Like uh, it's not uh, not like a limited attack or something like this. Like uh, we don't think so. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, and like you said, they're, they're very much unafraid of of killing civilians in the process. Like I spoke to uh, a mother whose fifteen year old son was killed in a drone strike. Um, I don't think it's very hard to make an argument that a fifteen-year-old son was doing anything apart from being a fifteen-year-old kid. You know, um, it's not like this person is a legitimate military target. It's a kid who played goalkeeper on his local football team. Uh, and these double tap attacks, like if people aren't familiar with a double tap attack, it's when a, an attack happens, people go to the site of the attack to render aid, right? An ambulance or, or perhaps just bystanders rendering aid or other military personnel rendering aid, and then a second attack happens. Uh, at the same place to to then attack the people who are rendering aid. So uh, you spoke a little bit about like how they're trying to attack the whole project and not just individuals. 
I wonder, like, the um, the drone strikes do have like a they change the way things have to be done, right? Like, like it, it's it's it, things become unsafe. Like anywhere you can see the sky, right? Like having a large gathering, or, or certainly for people who are of more like higher status, um, it, it's uh, it, it's dangerous for them to be out and about, right? Is is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, on some level, for sure, it's dangerous. But on the other hand, you cannot always be afraid. Like that's like really just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the reality. Like, for example, now, because these places were targeted, for example, the infrastructure that you need for your life, mm -hmm. people actually started to stand, like, next to the electricity center to say, like, if we are all here, then they cannot target it. Oh, wow. Which, for sure, is dangerous if you see, like, the... Um, yeah, they can. <laughs> they, the uh, yeah, because they've killed a lot of civilians, as you say. That's a very brave yeah. thing to do. Yes. Yeah, and uh, like, again, I think I think maybe we should explain actually is that it gets very cold in this part of the world in the winter because perhaps people will associate uh, this part of the world with like the heat and uh, hot, hot, hot summers, but like you you have very cold winters, especially in the mountains, right? Yeah, I mean Rojava, it's like all more or less flat, so it's like it's not so cold, but still gets like under zero degrees, so mm -hmm. like. For sure, you need, still need like your house to be warm and so on, like just to take care of basic needs. You need your car to drive somewhere, maybe sometimes at least like some people need it for their work or like there's just a lot of basic needs that don't work if uh, if all the infrastructure gets destroyed. Yeah, yeah, and I believe uh, if I'm right in in saying this the one person already passed away because they couldn't get dialysis at, at the dialysis center that was bombed is that right yes so uh, they said that one passed away afterwards they brought like a like emergency wise dialysis machine yeah which i think is very good for the sick people but i'm not sure because also if you don't have like a substitute if something happens like only one machine i'm not sure like how much it will actually take care of the needs of the people because i said it was like 70 or 80 sick people who were going to the center so it's not mm -hmm. few yeah and like i don't think yeah i mean it's certainly not as good as having a proper center right like and there's no reason that's there's, there's no world in which a dialysis center is a, is a legitimate target um, or yeah. or a printing press, right? Like I think that that maybe points to what you were saying. Like if you're printing books about something, sharing knowledge about something, um, and like perhaps one thing I think you were saying is it right that it printed textbooks? I think it was like also printing textbooks. Okay, like it, it was printing yeah. everything, so it's also printing textbooks. Yes, like yeah. for school, it's also it was printing textbooks. Yeah, and we should point out that like. You know, I, I speak to Kurdish people almost every day when I'm at the border, and they many of them don't read and write in Kurdish because in Turkey that's not taught in schools, right? They don't have a chance to learn, uh, and and so like having those textbooks, having that knowledge, like uh, lots of my lots of my friends were saying that like the children because the ch because our, folks who went to school before the revolution went to school in Arabic. So, like, the children are the ones who have, like, the formal education in Kurdish, you know, and they're, they're building a, rev uh, a generation that, like, speaks Kurdish and reads and writes Kurdish as their first language. And so, like, 
an attempt to destroy that isn't just destroying the factory, right? Is that fair to say that it's also destroying like that goal of the revolution and more broadly like that attempt to uh, like to have that education in Kurdish and let children speak their own language in school? Yes, I mean, this is also part of like assimilation politics to deny pe uh, people their own language, which actually like the Syrian regime also did, like they only yes. fought in Arabic. And now, for example, the system of the self-administration allows everyone to learn in different languages. Like now mm -hmm. there's Arabic, there's Kurdish, and even in the very last times I heard that there will also be opened uh, Assyrian again, which is yeah. actually really important because it's like a language that is like very, um, like most Assyrian people right now speak and write uh, Arabic, so it could be really important also. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, I think it's really important to point out for people who aren't aware, and often in the US media, like uh, Rojo is, is reported as like Kurdish and like a Kurdish area, but it, it may have a majority of Kurds in, in some cities, but like, yeah, there are Assyrian people, there are Arab people, there are Armenian people. And, and like they have that same autonomy, right? To educate in their own language and to uh, to like organize in their own communities. Yes, that's what the idea is all about. And I think actually, like uh, we saw this in the last time, there was kind of trying to create this image of like Kurds against Arabs, like yes. on the outside in the international media, which is absolutely not true. Like the SDF itself is like a majorly Arabic force. It's not majorly just like if you see numbers i think at least so yeah it's like very equal like everyone who plays a role in it and who wants to participate can participate and everyone has a like autonomy also to organize inside of their own society or may it be religion or in which uh, sense like also yazidi people like yeah. kurdish people who are of yazidi religion uh, they also have their own organization here in, uh, in rojava so yeah, that's very important. And their own movement in uh, in their own area, right? Like the Yerbeshe in uh, in, that, in that part of Iraq, like that's um, like I guess an allied movement. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I yeah. mean it very much like follows the same idea and the same concept as uh, Rojava. Yes, and uh, yeah, I've also spoken to Azili people uh, who have come to the United States recently, and like yeah, they. Uh, under the uh, under ISIS, like they had an absolutely uh, like inhumane and terrible conditions, and uh, if it wasn't for uh, the Epige, then uh, they like they wouldn't be they 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 you know they 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 the beginning of the uh, their liberation, I guess, came from the Epige. Um, something we'll maybe talk about uh, another time because it's a long story. I wonder, yeah, like obviously. This isn't something that has been in the news as much because people have been so focused on Palestine. I wonder if it's worth discussing like the Turkish state's completely like uh, like two-faced approach, right? Like on one hand, they're saying uh, we have to um, like yeah, it's unacceptable for the bombing of civilians in Palestine, and like this is completely wrong. And then on the other hand, they're they're doing the same thing, right? Like just on on, on their other border. Yeah, so I'm, I think we have to anyway say like Turkey is not uh, doing anything good for the Palestinian people. Turkey is leading Hamas to such an attack, like is supporting Hamas and uh, this like very violent uh, attacks they made. 
which then was like the preset for the war of Israel and international forces against the Palestinian people. So actually, who is like suffering from all of this is like the normal people, this, uh, like which is true for Israel and uh, Palestine. So actually, we have to say like uh, what Turkey is doing is against the people, like it's also against the Palestinian people. And here, like they have criticized so clearly, for example, uh, Israel saying like saying Israel is making occupation politics and so on. Uh, still, Turkey also has ties with Israel. This you also have to say, but uh, like they are themselves occupying uh, parts of Rojava mm -hmm. uh, in the shadow of these attacks. That like all the attention of the world was going uh, into uh, this region. Mm -hmm. uh, they attacked uh, Rojava, uh, like also calculating that maybe people will not so much uh, look to Rojava right now. If, like at mm -hmm. the same time, there's like another huge war going on in the Middle East, yeah. and uh, they are making like very clearly like um, politics of occupation in Afrin and Sirkani, and yeah. also of yeah. demographic change. So they are like displacing people and placing other people yeah so that's very interesting <laughs> yeah well displacing whom and, and placing whom because i think that's important when we talk about uh like that that population and demographic change like because it there's a it, it's not they're not just displacing people randomly and replacing them randomly right yeah so actually the people that are targeted the most are like the uh, kurdish people in the areas or other people that are like not uh, aligned to uh, the Turkish state, and then who they place, like, uh, mostly were, like, uh, you see that all these mercenary forces that are actually aligned to Turkey, or, like, uh, outside forces already, like, they are, like, um, they are not ISIS, but they are a little bit similar to it. They are, like, mercenary groups that are, like, more or less, like, uh, uh, what, what road they go, it's like clarified from outside uh, forces. So uh, they are aligned to Turkey. And uh, from these people, for example, their families were placed in the region on the one hand. On the other hand, there were even examples where uh, Turkey started to place some uh, Palestinian people also uh, in this region. Yes. Or like, different, like they just who they think they can align to uh, Turkey as a state and bring under their control, they were placing in these areas that say it like this, like to uh, be able actually with what is a part of Rojava, a part of Syria, uh, to occupy it long term, like to make this last. It's not like a short term plan, like they want to stay uh, mm -hmm. in this area if it's not prevented, if it's not liberated again. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, Again, like people, I think have become more aware in recent months. People are, are uh, becoming educated on the situation in Palestine, settlements, and uh, it, it's not the fault of the people of Palestine that they're being like uh, forced to be driven off their ancestral homelands. But like, what it does mean is that like they could be mobilized by someone like Turkey, right, to just do an occupation to uh, to do, a, I guess, demographic transfer somewhere else, and uh, like that's not a that's not like a desirable outcome. So we spoke a little bit about like 
this like ongoing hostility, right? And it, it can seem uh, for people out like I think people only hear about Rojava in, in negative, uh, not negative terms is the wrong thing, but like they only it only ever enters the American press these days when something happens, right? Either an ISIS attack, something at one of the the camp, like a hall or a rodge, right? But like. Also, things are continuing to progress, right? Uh, it's not just a place that is embattled and fighting to survive. Like, I know recently a new social contract was passed, for instance. So maybe you could explain a little bit about the progress that's still being made despite um, this this ongoing like air war, drone war, and land war. Yeah. So actually, um, I think here in Rojava, we always followed this philosophy that we are not like sitting here and saying, oh, war will come towards us or like it will not be like we are very much hopeful and we are always working to develop. Like uh, even if these things are happening, these attacks are happening, the revolution very, very much developed and the society changed a lot uh, already. A lot of institutions have been built up that before were not existing and so on. And as the outcome also of this, the new social contract was formed, which actually is like a very democratic process. Like, let's say if a state force, for example, has the constitution, the state-less self-administration has a social contract, which actually is made by the people because until it was made, there was years of discussion, like there were so many meetings, like all of the political representatives from the smallest to the biggest level, they were all part of uh, the uh, discussion and also the people themselves, they could take part in the discussion. So now uh, this is, for example, ensuring a lot of important decisions. And uh, now like the struggle that is before us, like that we are facing now is to implement the social contract, which is very important. It's also guaranteeing a lot of progress uh, for women it's uh, guaranteeing a lot of progress for society so i think still uh, now like it's a task to uh, like see how how it can be implemented in all areas mm -hmm. because it's always like a very lively process like it always needs the daily struggle the daily work uh, creating like uh, everything from new so there's a lot going on, actually, we can say. Yeah, definitely. And uh, like, I definitely, like, it doesn't, I think it's easy, like, again, if we only report on the thing when bad things are happening, like, to, to think that it's only bad. But there's a lot of, like, it, people are still hopeful, I think, and hopeful for creating and spreading, like, this better future for themselves and their children and, and for the region, um, which I think is, is really admirable. One thing that I thought was really admirable is, People will probably have seen it, and um, but like if if they don't like follow social media so much, the exchange of statements of solidarity between the KNDF, the Karendi National Defense Force Battalion Five, specifically in, in Myanmar, and uh, the YPG and YPJ in um, in Rojava, and and they've gone back and forth, right? But can you explain a little bit about? Obviously, I know that the situation in Myanmar is very complicated. I know I've spent years of my life learning about it. But um, can, can you explain like the importance of that solidarity and like um, also perhaps that like it's not it, it was a risk, right, for everyone to gather like this in 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 the middle of the drone war to make the statement. But can you I explain like why that solidarity was something they felt was so important? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think in, in general it's very important to say like the revolution in Rojava, it's not only like a revolution for the people of Rojava itself. It has like a perspective, more general like to strengthen uh, the friendship of uh, democratic movements anywhere in the world. So for sure there's a lot of uh, colors of movements, a lot of different situations in the world and some might uh, also like let's say feel this solidarity very strong because actually they are also like uh, in Myanmar like also uh, facing uh, for example a state system which is very much influenced by fascism like for example we are facing uh, Turkey or like in general this kind of uh, oppression and trying uh, to liberate from it mm -hmm. uh, so actually we are always trying to have like this uh, exchange uh, in general in the world and to have like also to build like how let's say like quality uh, quality relationships, quality friendships uh, with all kinds of uh, democratic movement. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure, every everyone is uh, acting on a different level and so on. But uh, this is like a big something really really important for us in general. And I mean like in in the Rojava revolution, there were also always people from the outside, for example, participating in it. So there was always kind of the spirit that this is like the uh, revolution for the world, like the Kurdish uh, movement in general has like this character, like an internationalist character. So it's not yes. something like, uh, let's say, like far from from us. Like uh, it's already something like very close to us to say like uh, we stand in solidarity also with other uh, liberation movements. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was very. It was. I know it's very much appreciated in Myanmar because lots, lots of people from there have reached out to tell me how how much they appreciated it. And like, I think some of them have been in the revolution for seventy years, right? Like, and and the world has not paid attention to them, so they really appreciated that. Um, yeah, that's that solidarity, and like, I know that the solidarity runs a lot deeper than statements, but like, we we will cover the 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 extent of that solidarity in another episode because again i think it, it 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 merits its own recording i wonder uh Bedevan, what obviously people will be listening right and i think a lot of people will be very supportive of the revolution in rojava and, and they want to help it and see it succeed and certainly not to see no one wants to see civilians dying in drone strikes right um no one wants to see anyone dying in drone strikes but how can they, if they are in the US or in Europe or uh, elsewhere in the world, but not in Rojava, um, how can they help? How can they support uh, the revolution through its like difficult, through these difficult moments, right? When when people don't have electricity to heat their homes in the winter and things. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of possibilities. Like mm -hmm. uh, besides coming here, which also support, but. Uh, I mean, in general, like you have all of this, uh, uh, this possibilities, like from educating yourself, what is this revolution actually about, understanding it, from spreading its ideas, which is maybe the most important task. May it be like uh, sp spreading knowledge about it, spreading knowledge also about the attacks that are happening, clarifying mm -hmm. what is happening and why it's happening, to read about political backgrounds, also of international politics. It's very important to understand it. And also you can always like 
uh, share, for example, let's say you have social media, let's say you're part of a political movement or something, you can discuss about it, you can inform yourself about it, you can make a presentation about it in your university, like there are so many things that you can do, mm -hmm. like uh, you can read a book about it and make a book presentation, like there's a million things a person uh, can do. Or as you are doing, you can connect to the Kurdish refugees or to the society, yeah. Kurdish people in the diaspora in general, like outside of Kurdistan, wherever you might be. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a possibility also. Like you can organize solidarity, also practical solidarity. Also, like, let's say, like intellectual works, like write a text, share it, discuss about it. Like maybe it's difficult in the beginning to understand some things or to gain like information but right now there's actually a lot of uh, information also available in english language i think yeah lots so, it's very so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could read for about a year non-stop i think and still not not have read all of it but are there books you've recommended a couple of books to me which i think have been really good and that i've shared with my friends in myanmar and i know that they've enjoyed are there any books you'd recommend to listeners I mean, in general, like this revolution is based uh, on the thoughts of uh, Abdullah Öcalan. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think a good idea if you actually want to understand like the ideological basis of it about women's liberation, about how democratic society can be organized. So actually, there's like this book called of him, Sociology of Freedom. I think yeah. it's very important. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like understandable i think for someone who comes maybe from academic or from a leftist or from a democratic background i think they will read it they will be able to understand it but there are also many other books that are translated to english or like text uh, that are available or in general there are books about the revolution from people for example coming from the outside uh, i have to think right now in English, I'm sorry, I know there are some also some in uh, different languages about the women's revolution. Mm -hmm. So I have to think with available. I think there's also like there's one called like the politics of freedom or something. And there are some books that were published because there were like the diplomatic conferences in uh, most of them, I think, happening in Europe, which mm -hmm. uh, afterwards there were like. Uh, uh, some like collections of yeah. uh, philosophical discussion uh, like uh, published so I think that's also very av available but I'm sorry I have the exact title <laughs> yeah I know there's a good book called Revolution in Rojava which was translated from German that um, like I think it, it lays out like the how things happen it's a little bit um a little bit dated now. I think it was published in like 2016. So, you know, things have changed over a few years, but I think that's a decent book for people who are interested as well that I know a lot of people have recommended. Yeah. And then I wonder, like, because this isn't being, uh, like, I know you made the point earlier about like the world was looking at Palestine. Like, I, when the attacks in Palestine happened, I was in, in Kamishlo in, in Rojava, and like, it's impossible for me to sell stories. Um, it's impossible for me to sell anything to like big news outlets. So they they simply like don't think American people can care about two parts of the world at once. I guess. I wonder where people can follow and get updates. Like, do it's a good uh, social media or news outlets that you would suggest for people who do want to keep in touch with what's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, we have like a Twitter, a Facebook page as YPJ Information and Documentation Office, like YPJ Information. Yeah. Uh, but uh, also there's like uh, other places like the Rojava Information Center, which is very much mm -hmm. like uh, like independently uh, accumulating like knowledge and sharing in a way that I think is understandable for everyone. Like there's also from the SDF forces a press center which is, has like also the English uh, homepage is sharing like sometimes statements and concrete information. There's the internationalist commune of Rojava which is sharing in uh, English language mm -hmm. a lot of information on Twitter and uh, on their homepage. So there's actually a lot of sources if yeah. uh, you go and look for it that are very good I think also. Yes, and like on the ground people who can show you what's happening. Um, yeah, I think I think that's wonderful. But Ivan, is there anything else you'd like us to get to before we finish up? Anything else you, you want people to know? No, I think it's very important to say again that it's like very, very valuable for the revolution for people to take part in actions, to make their voice heard, to organize, to make the revolution known, to get it to know for themselves. And that it does actually make a very, very huge difference like the struggles that people everywhere in the world are making for the solution and that it needs it that like it's very like critical for the revolution that everywhere in the world it gets known and uh, gets uh, like solidarity that mm -hmm. we see this as very meaningful i think that's very important to understand and uh, besides this i don't know i hope uh yes that's it i think <laughs> yeah no, i think it's really good to input to realize that like it's not a, it's not a uh, it's you know it's it's a very worthwhile thing to do just to increase people's awareness and, and solidarity. And um, thank you so much for your time. I know internet's not the easiest thing to come by where you are. So thank you so much, Bredivan, for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you also for talking about this topic. I was very happy to join. And great. Thanks so much. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, everybody. I am Robert Evans, um, and I want to start today by kind of proposing a, a theoretical, right? You, you wake up in the morning and something is awry. You know, maybe maybe you hear shots, maybe there's some sort of natural disaster. You know, maybe it's that, that weird <laughs> Havana syndrome death sound from the Obama movie that just came out on, what was it, Netflix? But something's fucked up. And, you know, most people, I think, especially most people who listen to this podcast, you probably had conversations with your friends and loved ones about what do we do when the quote-unquote apocalypse or shit hits the fan? You know, you've got your friends who maybe you know they have a lot of stored food or you know, they have some other skill that you think would be useful and you've got some stuff that's that, that, that you know, you know how to do. You, you've got your people, right? That you would want to be with and around if something's really going wrong out there because you know how to take care of each other. Um, But how do you get in contact, right? Assuming you don't all live together, assuming you're not all on some sort of commune type situation, as most people aren't, you're probably scattered throughout the city. Maybe you've got some friends out, you know, in the suburbs. Maybe you've got some friends who live out in rural land. Maybe you've just got a friend who lives halfway across town. And, you know, that's no problem when you got a phone and you've got, you know, Google Maps working. But can you get there on your own? Can you get there or get into contact with them if the streets are all clogged up with with cars or whatever? Like, how are you going to reach them? How are you going to, you know, get in touch in order to figure out what's going on? And how are you going to stay in touch while you handle whatever you need to handle for whatever is going wrong? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Because if the cell networks are down, if they're being blocked, if, you know, the, the Obama <laughs> situation happens, there are things things you can do to allow you and your uh, friends, comrades, uh, affinity group, whatever you want to call them to stay in touch. Um, and this a lot of this revolves around a kind of, of, of technical usage called a mesh network. And I don't know much about that because I am a big dummy. But a person who is not a dummy is our guest today. They go by Hydroponic Trash on Twitter, and they are going to talk to us today about how to set up independent communications networks that do not rely on the standard grid. Hello, and welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for coming on. You posted a thread on Twitter uh, about using, you know, it's called like LoRa, low frequency radio. Is that what it stands for? Yeah, LoRa stands technically for long range, but yeah, it's a long range frequency radio that broadcasts a pretty uh, specific wavelength that can travel Mm -hmm. really far throughout the air. So uh, it's perfect for communications long distance and it's if you've got devices set up on this they each basically act as nodes right so the more you have the kind of wider signal distribution you get if i'm understanding what you're saying correctly like if you've got someone three miles away and then another person five miles to the west of them then you kind of are able to cover that whole distance yeah exactly so think of it like a relay system right yeah one person has a message they send it off to another person that person passes it on to the next node and so mesh networks are really resilient when it comes to emergencies when it comes to protests when it comes to uh, occupation and conflict zones because 
if one node goes down, as long as there's other ones, they can pick up that message and keep repeating it and broadcasting it out. So it's a really interesting uh, piece of technology that is similar to like traditional radios, but mm-hmm. also different because all the communications can be encrypted end to end, which so is that's a huge another deal. layer yeah. of security. Because you can. The, uh, the I think most people's default, if you're thinking like, well, how do I st-? you get some like walkie talkies, right? You know, you get some and those can, you know, those have their place and stuff, but they are also not always the most secure option. So being able to encrypt shit is is a huge deal, um, especially yeah. when you're talking about like outside of a, a shit hits the fan kind of deal, which is less likely than, you know, some sort of uh, civil unrest protest use case. You know, being able to actually encrypt is huge. Yeah. So. I'm a dummy. I don't understand much about setting up my own in technology independently, but I find this interesting. I see the use case. I decide I'm going to I want to, you know, f- set this up and start, you know, building a, a an emergency mesh network with a half dozen of my friends. Where do I start? So first thing is you'll need some hardware that supports LoRa. There are mm-hmm. a ton of different things out there ranging from maybe 20, 25 bucks going all the way up to thousands of dollars. So there's a big range. And that range really depends on the enclosure, what's included in it, the broadcast Mm -hmm. strength, all that good stuff. So obviously the cheaper you go, the weaker the broadcast strength is. There might be development boards that are just literally like the PCB, like actual hardware with no case around it. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's some that you can just pick up and immediately use. And so it kind of depends. But that's the first step is, is finding um, hardware that can handle LoRa and then, you know, obviously getting it and then flashing it with the correct um, software. And that sounds really complicated, but for our purposes of, of sending text messages without any kind of cellular LTE uh, or Wi-Fi connection... You can use super cheap devices and flashing them is you click a couple buttons and you're done. So first off, do you have any kind of specific, you know, I, I know you're, you're working on a, a text piece that you can put up to explain all this. And, and I uh, will certainly share that as, as soon as it gets up. But do you have any specific, like if somebody's saying, hey, I've got, you know, a budget of 50 bucks, you know, or so, is there a complete device you would recommend if there, or, or somewhere in that, that median range, like kind of on the lower end, a thing that someone doesn't know how to take, you know, a raw board and craft that into a usable device that you would recommend they, they purchase as to start us off here. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of have two different options. One Mm -hmm. is a standalone option that can kind of work by itself, completely independent of anything else. Um, and another one uses your phone, so you'll flash it to the board and then connect over Bluetooth to your phone, just like a pair of headphones. Oh, or something awesome! Like that. Oh, that's so easy. Yeah. yeah. And so you kind of have options. If you want a standalone version, there's a company called LilyGo that makes a thing called a T Deck, and it's a pretty small. It yeah. looks like a BlackBerry clone. Yeah. It has a little mouse thing. Yeah, it looks like a BlackBerry kind of crossed with a game camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like thicker in the back. It's got that big antenna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so um, the LilyGo T-Deck is what this is called. Um, it's a BlackBerry clone, basically. Um, it has LoRa built in. It has Bluetooth. And so all you have to do is get power to this thing, flash mm-hmm. it with uh, Meshtastic, and 
there you go. Now you have a now you can type out messages, you can send direct messages, you can send encrypted messages all with one device that's $35. Oh man, that's great. And this is something you can get like AliExpress was your recommendation, right? Yeah, AliExpress would probably be the best if you're trying to order a lot. If you want one right now, um, you can order them on places like Amazon, but it's going to cost you and also fuck Amazon. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you you are slightly doomed to support one horrible billionaire or another like AliExpress is. (laughs) But um, no, I I get it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean. One of the upsides to like an all-in-one thing like this is um, like I 3D printed this case, but you don't have to print oh, a cool. case. You can literally just set this into a shoe box or something and protect it. So there's a lot of options on the cases that you want to use. You could buy pre-made cases or you could just, I don't know, just put something to protect the board back yeah. here and then screw on an antenna. You're good. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some shit people do with duct tape. You can figure it out. <laughs> So my my question is, or my other question is, you were you were talking about a way that you can you can basically do the calming like communications through your cell phone, right? You can hook that into the next mesh network. Um, Is that something you're able to kind of go over at least in brief, or provide people with you know here's where they can go to read about how to do that? Yeah. So um, the same company, Lilygo, makes a smaller little device. It's really small, maybe about an inch. Yeah. Yeah. And it has a screen on it. So when you power it on, you can actually see the messages come through on the screen on the board itself. Yeah. And it connects through Bluetooth to your phone and you use the MeshTastic app to basically text like you normally would on a phone. Um, Yeah. It looks just like Signal pretty much if you're used to that. that UI, but uh, oh, yeah, it's super small. Yeah, it's perfect. And so you're just also using that that MeshTastic app to flash the software on the devices once you get them. Am I am I understanding that right? Yeah, I'm just asking. I'm I'm re-asking everything because I want to try to make this accessible for both me when I do it and for our listeners. Yeah, for sure. Um, so MeshTastic is the software that's running on these devices. Mm -hmm. And what MeshTastic does is a device that's also running MeshTastic can communicate with each other over uh, LoRa long distance. And so you you need the hardware that supports LoRa and a a client, which is MeshTastic, that will allow you to send text messages and stuff like that and do the encryption and handle all that stuff. To actually flash these... It's super simple. Um, MeshTastic has a uh, link that you can go to. You plug in your device. Uh, depending on the version, you hold down a button. You press flash. Wait like 10 seconds. And boom. Now you have a working MeshTastic node. Probably in underneath 10 minutes. After you get this out of the box, you could be up and running in about 10, 15 minutes. That's great. And so... All right. If I if I've got like say I'm the guy in my group of friends uh, who has more disposable cash and I want to get this going, so I pick up five of those Lily like boxes, 3D print a case for them, or just wrap them in something, you know. And I keep one. I hand them out to my friends. I get the software on all of them. Um, how how do I get them all kind of in in comms together, right? Like, or if you know my friends buy them independently and we each flash them and get them up and running. How do we all kind of connect? Like, what is that process like? 
Yeah. So the good thing with Meshtastic is it automatically handles um, adding new nodes to the network. And so as soon as a new device that runs Meshtastic comes online, it'll broadcast and tell the entire Meshtastic network nearby, hey, a new device got added. You can send messages to me. So Meshtastic has two different things that it can do. It can do broadcasts where you're sending out a message to pretty much everyone who has a device that's reachable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good for, say, for instance, you know, your friend comes online, you, you can't talk to them directly. You could send a broadcast out and say, hey, Joe, what device are you? And they could reply and broadcast to everybody. Oh, okay, I'm on this device. You can also do direct messages. So uh, once you know that person's device name, you can actually send messages directly to them. Now, keep in mind, it's not encrypted because technically it's broadcasting throughout each node. Mm -hmm. It's just like filtering out the messages for whoever it was uh, addressed for. But yeah, at that point, then you could start DMing people. And if you want to get started with encryption, it's also really easy. You can use the Meshtastic client. So you can install it on your computer, plug it into your computer and just um, set an encryption key, a passcode, whatever you want to do to secure your communications. And then once that person has that passcode, key, whatever, those two devices can connect and talk completely encrypted, uh, either one-on-one or if multiple people say, for instance, you have an affinity group of like 10 people, you all say, okay, hey, in, in, a, in an emergency, let's meet up at this place mm-hmm. and physically share a key or a passcode or whatever. It, once everybody has that, you can also do encrypted broadcasts to multiple people as well. So getting up and running is, is super quick when it comes to flashing. Actually communicating with people makes sense, especially on your phone. Yeah. It, it feels just like a normal texting yeah. situation. So That's great. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing. I mean, this this is a, a really interesting technology because, like, I've been interested in in radio for a while, but the biggest downside to that is a you can't encrypt any kind of radio communications in the U.S. B unless you're you the need cops. A license. <laughs> yeah, unless <laughs> yeah. if you're the cops or the military or the feds, you yeah. cannot encrypt shit. And if you do, it's it's kind of an issue. But. Yeah, you can't encrypt uh, messages on regular radios. Another thing is like usability. If you hand somebody um, like a Baofeng handheld radio, mm-hmm. most people are not going to know what to do with it at all. They're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. But if I hand you a BlackBerry clone and say, just mm-hmm. type, and f- if you want to send a DM to somebody, yeah. find them and just send it. Like it's It's really easy for your average person to pick it up and use it, which is honestly the best kind of situation especially in an emergency where you can't really rely on highly technical people all the time because what if everybody in your affinity group isn't super technical you know so it's a it's a good common device that anybody can pick up and start sending messages even encrypted messages uh pretty easily so i think that covers the technical basics of what you need to do. I did want to ask real quick before we get onto some of the more um, ideological, you know, stuff here, conversations about like why you specifically got into this and why like this is important for people. I wanted to ask just really quickly in terms of that 3d printed case, did you just, 
go search in some repository and find one someone had made? Or is there one that you've put up somewhere that you might recommend to people? Yeah, actually, it was recently uploaded to Thingy Thingiverse, um, which is a website that has free 3D print uh, plans and files. And so um, I just searched up Lily Go T deck on Thingiverse and the full case. I mean, the back. Yeah, no, it cover, looks great. It has. Yeah, it looks like an actual device. Yeah. And I'm assuming that one's just PLA. Yeah, just PLA. That's a type of plastic. Super yeah. basic. Yeah, yeah. Looks great. Yeah, and this only took all these pieces snapped together, so no glue required, and all these pieces took mm, roughly about eight hours to print at 100% density. So you have a pretty solid case with plans that are available online, and in eight hours, you can have a literal professional-looking device that's uh, protected and able to go, you know, in adverse situations yeah so now i want to get into some of the more kind of like just talking about first off what got you into this like when, when did you decide this is a, a skill i want to develop and a thing i want to figure out yeah i mean so for my day job i'm an offensive security consultant which is just a fancy way of saying that that's I a cool job title for a living yeah <laughs> yeah you're doing like red team stuff it sounds like yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've always been interested in in technology and specifically like how do you make technology work in the benefit of people as opposed to working in the benefit for profits or corporate interest or state interest. So I think technology is a really good tool when used correctly. And there's a lot of moral and social and political implications when when it comes to technology and actually making it. But that's kind of how I got into it was kind of combining my interest in computers and hacking combined with um, kind of the social and political activism I've been a, been a part of. So um, that was kind of my entry point into it. Yeah, that makes that makes sense, because I, I do think like when I when I when I think about what inspired me about the early Internet, about like file sharing back in the late 90s, about you know, when Wikipedia first started up and stuff, all, all that stuff like that. We talk a lot about like the days when we thought the internet was going to be uh, an unqualified boon for human liberty, the ability to create a effectively like a, a smaller and more limited private internet for like you and your people to uh, communicate safely through definitely like scratches that itch. And when, when we say like more limited internet, you're not through one of these networks we're talking about. You're not going to be like sending YouTube videos and shit, right? But that's not what it's for, you know. That's it's 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 got a, a, its own use, and it's very much kind of what the internet was about at the beginning, which is just allowing people to connect um, that otherwise wouldn't be able to, or wouldn't be able to as securely. Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, the same protocol, LoRa. Um, you actually kind of can run a basic internet protocol that's called LoRaWAN, LoRa Wide Access Networking. Mm -hmm. And you can run some pretty basic programs on it outside of just text-based stuff. So it's a really interesting kind of rabbit hole to go down into. Um, I will say if you start looking at uh, LoRa and uh, Meshtastic stuff, you will eventually start to run into like a right-leaning, yes. sometimes straight-out fascist people because there's a crossover between, you know, the uh, 
the gun community and kind of off grid prepper doomsday prepper people you know so you'll run into that (laughs) anyone who doesn't like like the government is going to have a vested interest in being able to communicate in a way that can't be easily intercepted right like (laughs) that and that doesn't always mean your buddies i I think most people are pretty familiar with that (laughs) exactly yeah but um yeah it's it, it it's it's really useful they're there are other ways to say, for instance, make your own kind of like micro internet. I read an article that talked about making kind of like a DIY internet in quotes where you can basically take your home router and connect, say, for instance, your neighbors to the same network. And then if you have a server of your own that has books, that has maps, that has uh, music and information, you can easily share that with other people. And so there there are other ways to kind of get your own off-grid, quote-unquote, internet together, but um, just outside of text. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's definitely possible. It's just uh, needs a little bit more uh, technical know-how, but... Yeah. Um, Hopefully soon it'll be a little simpler to where you can just download something, get, you know, a book ser- server up and running and then have anybody come along and download books about, you know, permaculture or about, you know, uh, emergency medical aid or uh, fixing infrastructure and stuff like that. So. Yeah, that's huge. Being able to actually like transmit text and stuff through that, too. So yeah, you said when we were chatting online, kind of before we uh, we we hooked this up, you said something along the lines of you had a bit of a tangent you wanted to go on. So I, I've asked kind of my questions here. Uh, if there is anything else you wanted to get out or express or, or say, just kind of on the subject of people taking more autonomy for themselves in their communications technology. Um, well, now's the time. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I mean, so. Earlier you asked, like, what kind of got me into this. Yeah. But there was another situation that happened, because I live in Texas. Oh. And a couple... Yeah. (laughs) So you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) A couple years ago, there was a really bad winter storm. And for most people listening, you might be in the Northeast, like, who cares? Yeah, I I was there for that storm. Oh, it was was crazy. It was fucking horrible. It was fucking crazy. Yeah. And so for people outside of Texas, you might be saying, okay, well, winter storm, whatever, like how could that affect anything? But Mm. Texas's power grid is privately owned. Yeah. It's completely separate from the rest of the U.S. Yeah. ERCOT is a private company that runs the Texas power grid. And so we had a winter storm event happen and our power systems are not in any way built for extreme cold. And so we had a situation where pretty much the entire state was out of power, except for maybe a, a few areas in certain cities that had, you know, a specific environment where they had backup generators and stuff like that. But millions of people lost power. And when people lose power, it isn't just, oh, I can't like watch TV or like do anything. Mm-hmm. There's lives that are lost, you know, yeah. directly from people who require ventilators to live um, to people who need electricity to run their medical devices that impacted everything, right? So the power going out 
impacted transportation, impacted water, it impacted sanitation. So all these bits of infrastructure are all connected. And communications is kind of at the core of our modern day infrastructure, right? Because in order to run a power plant, you need to have power. But not only that, you need to be able to communicate with other places in order to properly run a water sanitation, you know, program. Same with transportation. I mean, if communication goes out, you literally can't deliver food. You literally can't deliver water to people in places that need it. And so it's not just an impact directly to communications, but an impact to your entire life. And so when we're talking about these pieces of infrastructure, we, ha- we really have to think about the larger picture of how all this infrastructure is integrated in our lives and how an impact to one part of it can impact your life in ways that you never even thought of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also, I mean, I think I I would imagine one of the benefits I I can say just from sort of the fairly minimal degree to which I've done stuff like understand the basics of, of, of solar power and what I can do and, and can't do in my area with it, you know, even outside of the stuff that is, is green and renewable understanding like how you can and cannot use generators in an emergency and like which work. It's just given me more of an understanding of how the regular stuff that I use day to day works a little bit better about what the real power draw of my life is, you know? And anytime you're kind of expanding your autonomy technologically, it also just increases the degree to which you understand what's going on every day, which I think is, is always a value, right? Like even outside of whatever theoreticals we might prompt for like what could happen or or what is likely to happen because we're all going to deal with more disasters in our lives before they're over. Hopefully more than one. Uh, (laughs) The alternative is worse, but um, yeah. um, Well, that's, that's kind of all I I had to say. Did you have anything else you wanted to get into before we, we roll out? Uh, Yeah. I mean, there are a bunch of use cases outside of like weather events or natural disasters to um, protest is one of them. A really big security concern when you're at a protest is bringing your cell phone. Um, God. Not a lot of people know that your cell phone has a unique identifier number um, and police governments, states um, all have technology to basically like bring up a fake cell phone tower and have your device connect to mm-hmm. it. So there there are ways to track, say for instance, you go to a protest, you have your phone on. Now your identifier is kind of tied to being at this protest, right? But yeah. with technology like this, it kind of circumvents that, especially when it comes to the ability for a threat actor to track you or or know that you've been there. And it's encrypted. So even if, say for instance, a police department was able to intercept uh, LoRa, they wouldn't be able to read the messages, period. And so that's another good thing. Same with, you know, conflict zones. Um, yeah. You know, we're seeing now with the genocide that's happening uh, in Palestine with the Palestinians, it's increasingly harder for people to communicate what areas are safe. It's yeah. hard to communicate, you know, oh, we need to get out now, have an early warning system of, there are literal tanks coming down the highway towards us. We need to leave. And so something like this can also be, you know, really good in that situation because again, the messages are encrypted. It can go pretty long range, especially if you have direct line of sight. We're talking like 
up to 10 miles. Mm -hmm. And so being able to just send a text message to somebody can save someone's life in a situation like that. So there's a lot of different use cases outside of, you know, emergencies that, that this stuff can be used, but that's where building the autonomy kind of comes from. Um, And if we're talking about like leftist political organizing and talking about building a better future, being autonomous from state and corporate controlled uh, infrastructure is really important, right? Because if, say, for instance, hypothetically, we had the big R revolution, right? Right. The first thing that people in power are going to go after is power, water, sanitation, and communications, right? They're going to go after the main infrastructure. And yeah. so if we want to have an autonomous and free future, uh, we have to think about collectively owning the means of infrastructure, yeah. not just the means of production. Yeah. Well, and even outside, you know, the the big R scenario, something that I think is probably at least certainly more immediate um, is continuing sort of downs in social order and areas expanding where uh, non-state actors, including uh, the aforementioned Nazis that we had talked about, are able to get bolder, right? And like one thing we've seen right now, if you watch videos of cartel operations um, in parts of Mexico right now, one thing you will see on their really good guys, right, on their their special ops style teams is they will all have these weird-looking things that look kind of like a microphone attached to their plate carriers, and that's a cell jammer. It's the standard thing for them to carry into the field because it stops people from from reporting in real time when they're carrying out an operation. And cartels are not the only people who who do that, right? Like, it is a widely used tactic now. You see it all over in Ukraine, right? Like, it's, it's in part not just because of, like, cell phones, but because of, like, shit like drones and stuff. It's it's just a, a, an increasingly common thing, and so when you're talking about what are threats that are are realistic, well, it's not just the state that can interrupt your ability to communicate traditionally, right? It's also your non-state opponents, um, and so for a variety of reasons, having backups, having alternates is just a, an incredibly important thing to be able to do to some extent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, anything else? Uh, no, I mean, right now I'm working on a kind of step-by-step article that kind of goes into more detail on what you need to do this, um, all the equipment you need, how to actually flash devices, how to start sending messages. And so, uh, once that's ready, um, I'll publish it. I publish, you know, DIY articles and stuff to my Substack. It's, uh, Anarcho Solar Punk, or you can go to hydroponictrash.solar. And I have a link there that goes to Substack as well. Beautiful. Well, all right. Um, Hydroponic Trash, uh, thank you so much for everything. This has really been useful and enlightening. I'm going to go hop on to AliExpress (laughs) in a second here and uh, make a couple of of purchases. Uh, And I'm sure there's going to be a number of folks uh, doing a version of that. Again, you can find our guest uh, at Hydroponic Trash uh, on Twitter, where you can get in touch with them and uh, keep an eye on on what they're writing, their Substack. Very, very excited to play around with this technology. Thank you so much for working to make it more visible. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. Yes, absolutely. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. 
celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine tingling shows on AE Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello everyone, it's me, James, and I'm joined today by Erica, who is an attorney, uh, the director at Al Otro Lado, which is a binational non-profit uh, that does legal humanitarian aid between San Diego and Tijuana. And uh, we're here to discuss the open-air detention sites and some things that uh, Jim Desmond, one of our county supervisors, has been saying about them. So welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for taking the time. So... I want to start off by talking about Jim Desmond today, uh, which is something I like to do. If people aren't familiar with Jim Desmond, uh, Jim Desmond is a supervisor in San Diego County. Uh, he's from District 5, which is northern San Diego County. He's a Republican. He's the former mayor of San Marcos, which is a city in North County. And before that, he was a pilot in the Navy. He's pretty much like a standard culture war boomer and a valuable reminder to us all that there are people alive today who grew up when they put lead in children's toys. Notable uh, Jim Desmond stances uh, include his stance on climate change, which uh, I'm just going to read to you. Uh, try and follow it if you can. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, I think the climate has been changing since the beginning of time. The climate comes and the climate goes. The Great Lakes, the Great Plains, the Yosemite Valley, all formed by glaciers. They've been gone a long, long time. So you find seashells on mountaintops. You see where it used to be, you know. The land masses were Pangaea, and then the land masses all change and move around. So I say we may be part of climate change, but I think the only reason we're here, and we're still here today, is because we as a species learn to adapt to different climates and climate changes. Now maybe we're maybe exacerbating it a bit towards the, the end of the warming trend, but I don't know that. Hmm. So, <laughs> it's just... It's about as, about as convoluted as his governing strategy here in San Diego County. 
yeah, it, it's uh, it's said a lot of words, uh, but it really conveyed very little meaning. But yeah, this is kind of he he seems to like speaking, but but maybe like he doesn't take quite as long as one would hope to plan out where he's going with his sentences before he delivers them. He also has a podcast, so I guess uh, our podcasting rival. Uh, did you have you listened to his podcast, Erica? No, I'm, but it might be entertaining. So yeah, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> definitely, um, I know it'll. Uh, you can learn some things about coronavirus, for instance. Uh, God. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, in May of 2020, he claimed there had been six pure, solely coronavirus deaths. Uh, the the other 200 or so that happened in the county by then were not quote unquote pure coronavirus deaths, I guess, by his estimation. So in this this little uh, escapade got him cited by Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, which must have been a great moment for Desmond. He hosted a ton of COVID skeptics on his podcast as well throughout the lockdowns. Um, he did uh, after he like caused some controversy on Twitter, which is is a recurring theme. He hosted an actual immunologist on his show, and this was the only guest who he really kind of argued with. Um, and in doing so, he said, "I quote: the herd needs to get it." And he's talking about COVID here, and we'll have a better handle on it. So to me, the number of cases means the herd's getting it. So that's a good thing. Um, and then his guest corrected him, pointing out that. Uh, there needs to be like immunity for there to be herd immunity, and what he's just looking at it is contagion, uh, not not immunity. Uh, so he he sort of he he continued to make these claims throughout the pandemic, right? That that the uh, the lockdown was holding our jobs hostage, bad for the economy. He wasn't an anti-masker. Interestingly, he said we should wear masks if that's what it took to open the businesses again, and he. At least, I mean, he's always been pretty terrible on border stuff, right, Erica? I'm sure you've encountered some of his border stances before. I think all of the supervisors are terrible on border stuff, but at least he says the quiet part out loud. Yeah. But we'll get more into that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about how that, yeah, that the, the Democrats being terrible on the border is, is something that I think we can't say enough. In recent months, <laughs> he held a press conference claiming the border should be shut down uh, to prevent an influx, it's not a quote, it's a paraphrase here, but to prevent an influx of Hamas fighters, um, which, I don't know, it, it shows a misunderstanding of a lot of things, like uh, like how Hamas works uh, and also how the border works. Like um, I, The idea that A, one could leave Gaza at this time, and B, that one could just fly into Mexico, <laughs> like uh, where, of course, like they they wouldn't immediately notice that you had come like armed and equipped to attack the U.S. border. Um, but I think just with the COVID stuff and with the border stuff, he is just throwing red meat to his base, but it's not yeah. necessarily aligned with what he does. And I would assume it's not aligned with what he actually knows, like where the COVID stuff. He did set up vaccination clinics yeah. in his district. And so he's clearly not a complete skeptic. At least that's not what his actions showed. And I think for some of your listeners who are not in the United States or maybe not in California, we are on the border in San Diego. You can get to Mexico within, you know, if you're in Jim Desmond's district within half an hour, you're in Tijuana. And I assume he's been here for many years. And so it, he has to know more about the border than he's letting on. It's just really like he's regurgitating 
the right wing narrative to garner political points, I think in a county where he's the last standing Republican on the board of supervisors. So I think that's important to remember too. Definitely. It definitely seems like this is kind of, and you see he does a lot of appearance on right wing news channels, right? Like he's often on uh, Fox, but then our local kind of crazy right wing news channel is KUSI who have really doubled down on the culture war stuff since like 2020 and you'll you'll see him on there a lot and talking about the border a lot right it seems to as you say like either be like an attempt for re-election or perhaps for higher office i don't know but he um he'll make a lot of claims about the border which are just patently untrue which is what i want to talk about now so he spent his new year's day uh, in hakumba making little videos for twitter and instagram um, I, I was there on New Year's Day too. I didn't actually see him, which is a shame. But uh, that day, there weren't many people at all who were in the open air detention sites. So um, he he sort of made videos in front of empty tents. It was a bit weird. In his first one, he wrote, Today, I visited the border and migrant encampments in Hakumba. The chaos continues with dozens of people camping out, waiting for border patrol to take them to a resource centre, paid for by county taxpayers. Um, he's not like... You can, I'm sure, Erica, you can explain this as well. He's not wrong that they may eventually end up at the quote-unquote welcome centre, which is paid for by county funds, which came uh, from the American Rescue Act, which is, of course, federal money. Uh, but it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, so the migrants are being held in what are essentially open-air prisons by Border Patrol. We, the collective of nonprofits, mutual aid groups and volunteers, are the only ones who've been paying for water, food, medical assistance, shelter, etc. for people who are being held in these open air prisons, sometimes for days at a time, including the medically infirm and children. And so I think that's one piece of it to understand because he did say in his when, when he was speaking in front of the empty tent that the county taxpayers were paying for those things, which is patently untrue. But then just, again, understanding the process is something that he has to understand. He's been here for decades. He has to know that these people are being taken into Border Patrol custody, processed, and then either released to the county-funded welcome center or they are detained by immigration. And so... It's the same legal process we've had for decades at the border where people have a right to seek asylum, whether they enter at a port of entry or not. And the real controversy here is the fact that Border Patrol is holding people outdoors for days at a time without the things that they need to survive. Yeah. I want to get back to that claim that he made, right, that the county paid for it. We've got some audio of him making that claim, so we'll just play it. As we, as we look inside this abandoned tent, there's, there's a sandwich left in a baggie. There's water, there's bananas, ponchos, crackers, snacks, and waters. And this tent is empty. Many of these tents are just the, the same way. There's no one here. Yet probably in the next day or so, there'll be more migrants coming, inhabiting this, and then being processed through San Diego County, being paid for with San Diego tax dollars. So... In the caption that accompanied this video, he wrote, quote, During my recent border visit, I encountered an abandoned campsite filled with tents, food, drinks, and campfires, paid for by San Diego County taxpayers. 
This site is used as a temporary holding site before migrants are then processed into our country. And and this like gets to the thing I think that Lewis where he like bullshitted too close to the sun because it, none of that, as you said, was paid for by taxpayers, right? All of that was paid for by, right. by yeah, pe- people like us, uh, non-profits, mutual aid people. And can you give a sense of like the the amount of spending that Alo Trollado has had to take on to to make these open air prisons like survivable for people, and even still, they're deeply unpleasant, even with all our work. Yeah. Um, so. We have acted as a fiscal sponsor for a lot of the smaller groups because we are able to receive foundation funding as a 501c3. And so we've used that legal status to support a lot of the mutual aid groups that have been spending tens of thousands of dollars. But I've gone through the budgets and we've spent an average of about $150,000 per month, which is a lot for us. But when you look at the Department of Homeland Security, which should be spending this money, yeah. uh, they they have a $170 billion budget for 2023. I think it's even higher for fiscal year 2024. So it's really, you know, probably what they spend on one of those autonomous surveillance towers uh, that are sitting in the camps in like a day, right? <laughs> so it's yeah. really nothing for them. You know, it's very clear that they're making a choice to leave these uh, really vulnerable migrants to potentially die in the desert. And then when we look at the county funding, you know, they've allocated now $6 million to this welcome center, which, you know, we'll talk about in more detail, but is really providing woefully inadequate services to the same population that's going through these open air detention sites after they've been released from border patrol custody. So again, it's like, it's a lot of money for us. It's not a lot of money for the county. Um, I would love it if the county would pay for yeah. it. They've stated on multiple occasions that they will not. It's been pure philanthropic funding and donations. But yeah, I mean, we've been able to do a lot with very little and it really was the bare minimum to keep people alive. So yeah, if we had an actual infusion of county funding, I'm sure we could have done a lot more. Yeah, and like even... We don't have access to the things that government has access to, right? Like normally in a refugee right. situation, we'd have UNHCR tents, we'd have uh, humanitarian MREs. Like we had to buy those on the, we couldn't get the tents, and we and the MREs we had to find on the surplus market, right? Like we we can't, the the state could do more for less, but they're they're very much choosing not to, as you said. So what the result of this was rather amusing. Right? A number of people from mutual aid groups, uh, including friends of ours from Free Shit Collective, took to Desmond's office uh, with literal receipts, right? Like with receipts, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a tremendous moment. Uh, like, and we don't mean receipts like in a figurative sense. We mean like pieces of paper from Costco. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and and the fact is, you know, within a number of hours. Um, the folks from Free Shit Collective and others were able to just pull together over $16,000 in receipts. And that's, like I mentioned, a small fraction of what we've actually been spending. That's probably just their receipts from the week. And so again, for us, it's like, that's an enormous lift. I know we're all exhausted. Those of us who've been working in the open air detention sites, it's exhausting to be there all the time. It's exhausting to try to raise enough money to keep thousands and thousands of people alive when they're forced into a deadly situation and so it's 
I think we were all pretty pissed off when we heard him taking yeah. credit for that, even if he was trying to denigrate, you know, the idea of spending money on refugees. Yeah, right. Like, it's funny because he'll also say, like, it's inhumane, it's unacceptable, but, like, if you're not going to do anything to stop the humanity, the inhumanity, like, I don't really find that a very believable claim. Like, he, he was literally standing at Willows, so, like, less than a mile from where we spent that day making sandwiches and, and cooking beans and, and uh, doing the things we do every day, sorting out coats, you know, uh, and he, he could have come and helped or even just come and said what you guys are doing is is, is great uh but he chose not to he just stood in front of his whoever was filming him and lied his proposed solution is to close the border which he knows is not an option because the refugee convention is still a thing we, the u.s is still a signatory you know we have legal obligations under both domestic and international law to accept asylum seekers in our country and so you know his solution to the inhumanity is to push people back over the Mexican border where, you know, they're subject to all manner of state and criminal violence. So I don't think the inhumanity is really his priority to address. <laughs> it's really, again, just like throwing red meat to the base to, you know, this open borders hysteria that they all love to cite. Yeah. Uh, talking of hysteria, uh, we should take a little break for some adverts for things that uh, might try to get you to buy them by making you afraid and you shouldn't we are back and yeah i want to talk a little more about that like this this idea of a closed border you see it a lot mostly from republicans right like it, it's like you say it's not only legally impossible it's also like physically impossible and we people enter the US through gaps in the border wall when people enter the US through gaps in the border wall I should add because we've made it virtually impossible for them to get asylum appointments in, in a reasonable time frame and, and to be in a place that's safe while they make those appointments and so like like the idea that we could how, how do we close you know like, like the physical border um, well just yeah I mean I just want to take a step back for one second because this sort of Biden's open borders hysteria that we've heard yes. so much from yeah. the right wing. I think it's worth unpacking what this means because I've seen, you know, people in the Democratic Party or even people on the left really shy away from this idea of open borders when those of us who have first world passports already have a world of open borders. I mean, we can pretty much go wherever we want. You know, we gentrify other countries to their detriment. Like, it's not. <laughs> there really yeah. are not many restrictions on first world citizens moving around the world. So I think that's one important thing to consider as we're kind of launching into this discussion. It's like open borders are okay for me, but not for brown people. Like, yeah, it's a little, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the underlying impetus behind a lot of what we're going to talk about in San Diego County. It's like, people this underlying idea that people should not have the right to come here which is just ludicrous so i think that's one thing but when we're talking about asylum in particular you know like i mentioned earlier we are um signatories to the refugee convention and the subsequent 1967 protocol this has been enshrined in domestic law in the 1980 refugee act 
And so refugees who are people outside of their country of origin fleeing persecution have the right to ask for protection at the U.S.-Mexico border, whether it's at a port of entry or between ports of entry. So those in Hakumba and these other open-air detention sites are those crossing between ports of entry because it's been made impossible to approach the port of entry and seek asylum. And this is something that our organization has been litigating for years. You know, at first people were just being turned away. Then there was a waiting list in Mexico. Now they have this stupid app that's just like glitches and there's not enough appointments and people have to wait for months in Mexico just to get an appointment if they're one of the lucky ones who can. The app's also been hacked by organized crime. You know, certain nationalities are able to pay for appointments. It's just, it's a complete mess. It has nothing to do with this ideal you know, that the refugee convention is supposed to enshrine. So regardless of, you know, all of the illegal things the U.S. government is doing, like, you cannot close a border to asylum seekers without withdrawing from the refugee convention. And I just really don't see that happening for our country, just because we like to, you know, talk about how we're a bastion for human rights, et cetera, which, you know, that's a whole other podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, about, yeah, but. we can... Uh... Yeah, break that down a little bit. But I think one thing that you said that I want to talk about is that you said that open borders or like free free travel for brown people is something that a lot of uh, more privileged folks, especially in, in San Diego, even in San Diego, I should say, are uncomfortable with. I think we really saw like, it's not just skin color, but it's really hard for me to see skin color not playing a large role when I see people from Africa, people from uh, South America, waiting for months, if not years, and then people from Ukraine coming at a, when the larger scale conflict in Ukraine began and effectively skipping the line, right? Yeah, so when the Ukrainians all came through Tijuana, I think there were maybe 20,000 or so who came through in a period of a month. That was during Title 42, which was... A Trump era policy that closed the border to asylum seekers based on public health reasons, but really it was because they wanted to close the border to asylum seekers. Um, and so there were very few humanitarian exemptions granted to Title 42 at that time. But at the time the Ukrainians came, that exemption process had actually been shut down for quite a while. So I was watching people die in Tijuana because they didn't have access to the U.S. asylum system. I remember when the Ukrainians came, there was a child who caught pneumonia in one of the shelters. It was like a month's old baby who died. And then when the Ukrainians came, you know, the doors were flung open for them. Uh, CBP, which up until that point said they did not have capacity to process asylum seekers, they were processing Ukrainians at a clip of a thousand a day. And it was heartbreaking to see. And, you know, after they shut off the spigot for the Ukrainians, um, after they stopped letting them in at the border, CBP said they only had capacity to process a few dozen non-white asylum seekers. And so all of a sudden their capacity was just gone. It was, you know, it just, it was so transparent and so blatant and so hurtful for people who'd been suffering at that point for years with the asylum system closed off to them. Yeah. yeah, it, it was really hard to see that and, and, and to know the people, the, the people who I guess effectively they lost their place in line, right? Or people kind yeah. of in front of them. And, and, and 
to a large degree, it's still much easier, right? We're not we're under Title Eight again now, not Title Forty Two, but it's still much easier for wealthy white people to get appointments using CBP one than it is for poorer non-white people, right? Yeah, because especially when the app was first launched, there's a point in the uh, appointment process during which you have to take a photo of yourself and it maps your face for facial recognition purposes. Yeah. And it wasn't working on really dark skinned people. You know, pe- a few of the organizations working in Mexico had to buy the construction style lights to shine on people's faces so that yeah. it would, <laughs> the photo yeah. would pick them up. But just even like you have to have a new phone. Um, yeah. I think they probably made the app to work on an iPhone, which most people outside the United States don't have. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's like i got a tip on that I, i've not been able to confirm it but someone at the iStore told or the iStore the apple store told me that it wasn't working on certain samsung and uh huawei phones and that they were having right. people come in and buy like the cheapest iphone they could in bulk to try and access it well we keep iphones in our office in tijuana exactly for that reason because we you know people need to be able to access the app um, but now the, well, the app has been hacked for a while. So there's some groups that work mostly, I would say, with Russian asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. They're charging, I think, around between 500 and 1,000 for an appointment, maybe more sometimes. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it. I know also there's been some hacking of the geolocation feature. So these criminal groups are selling appointments to people who haven't even left their home country. And meanwhile, you know, the shelters on the border are full of people with crappy phones and a weak internet connection who wait for months and months and months, while the richer people who are paying for nice phones and appointments are able to get through much more quickly. Yeah, it, it, it's made a, a fucked up system even more fucked up. Uh, and yeah. That they designed it in-house as well, which, you know, we, I don't know they, uh, they appear to have overestimated their abilities there. One day I'll get my foyers back about CBP one, and it will probably be some point in the middle of the next presidential administration, which will make them <laughs> very relevant and really fucking annoying. But well, we're suing about it too, so it'll probably be a few years before we get to discovery. Yeah. But yeah, okay, <laughs> it's, we'll it's have really a race. Up. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you're assuming that they want the system to work, which they don't. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's fair. So in that sense, it's working perfectly. Right, yeah, it, and and it's doing in a sense what like the unofficial undertone of immigration policy has always been, which which is that like it's fine for wealthy white people to come here, but we want to limit the number of non-white and non-wealthy people who come here, and, and like they can say it out loud, like and I think maybe we should talk about this now. Like, the difference between Trump and Biden is that Trump just said it, uh, and Biden didn't, and when Trump said it, uh, like wealth, well-meaning liberals in the Midwest gave a shit and sent money. Like in 2018, things were very bad in Tijuana, right? With the um, the people staying in the El Baratal. But like, at, at least people in America cared and, and sent money so we could help. Whereas right. now, like, you know, major outlets who have given 10 front page stories to accusations of one woman plagiarizing in a dissertation that she wrote years ago haven't written a single piece about the open air concentration camps that our government has in Nacumba and in other places. Well, not just that. I mean, they've the, the media by and large has allowed this right wing narrative of open borders to take over, even though the policies are largely identical 
um, to the Trump administration, right? So they're even talking about now bringing back a Title 42 type restriction that would turn away asylum seekers and send them back to Mexico. We have the asylum ban, which is very similar to the one that was litigated under the Trump administration. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, you know, family separation. Maybe it's yep. not the minor children being taken away, but still thousands of families being separated. I think there's a couple things. Like one is just people hate when Trump does it, but they don't hate when Biden does it. That's one. Yeah. But also like you said, Trump says the quiet part out loud. And so people respond to that. Whereas Biden has co-opted the immigrant rights movement by putting us in a stakeholder relationship. And I can see among some of my colleagues that they value access to power more than the rights of the people that we are supposed to serve. And so they will go along with a lot of this stuff and, you know, basically enable it in many ways just to maintain that access to power. And I've seen some of my colleagues who, you know, we were all fighting on the same side during the Trump administration yeah. have actually gone into the Biden administration and are implementing Jesus. these policies. Yeah, and so it's, bleak. you know, it's, it's really like pretty horrifying to see. Um, yeah. And also I would say the people in the Biden administration are in many ways smarter because it was easier to litigate under the Trump administration. We could knock down a lot of these policies because they were just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. Not well-written, you know, it was like clearly unconstitutional. You know, they learned lessons during the Biden administration or during the Trump administration. So now the policies are written in a way that are, that make it much more difficult to to litigate and the supreme court in 2022 in a decision called aleman gonzalez made it impossible to get class-wide injunctive relief for violations of immigration law so what that means is that dhs can violate the law and there's no way to stop them from doing so on a large scale in the courts and they are banking on that when in current litigation. They literally are relying on that to to continue breaking the law, especially when it comes to turning asylum seekers away. Yeah, and something else that Desmond has asked for is uh, he, he wants them to turn asylum seekers away before they get to the border and then quite understand what they... Uh, like, like, that would be inside Mexico, which... Uh, well, that's what Mexico is doing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, um, like, on... I was in Hukumbra, uh, uh, like on Friday, Thursday, and they, yeah, National Guard are uh, like sitting at the little gaps in the wall. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you've seen it too. You see National Guard, Mexican National Guard drive up. They kind of check out the situation and leave, and then the travel agents come and and drop off the migrants. Yeah. And so it's something very much that you know can be controlled to a great extent within Mexico, and yeah. the U.S. is very obviously you know, working with Mexico publicly, obviously working with Mexico to stop migrants from reaching the U.S.-Mexico border and working with countries further south to stop people from reaching the U.S.-Mexico yeah. border. So this is definitely a regional project. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about is as people come through those countries further south, um, there's this, it's, it's like in recent days, even like we're recording this on, uh, on Monday, uh, people hear it on Wednesday, but I've seen this narrative and I think it's coming from the fact that uh, funding for Ukraine was tied to funding for the border and, and people have lost their minds uh, over the, the conflict in Ukraine and, and, and they have silly dog pictures on, on Twitter and um, 
and it become a replacement for a personality for a certain type of divorce guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so though, so like the yeah, the, the army of divorced dads has um, like turned on the border, and like one of the things you'll say is like, oh, like the border is like a. Like, like this is how like bad actors are getting in the U.S. You know, like, like you know, Hamas again. Like, the, the Hamas are really otherwise engaged in the minute, but like, yeah, they're busy. They're busy. Yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's a whole lot of people who would love to leave Gaza, uh, and we absolutely should welcome those people here, but uh, they can't, uh, and that's fucked up. But yeah, this idea that like ISIS, uh, uh, Hamas. Uh, the Russian secret of the Russian FSB. I'm sure some someone will have have suggested like North Korea or the PRC are coming through Hakumba as well. Like it, they see it seems to admit admit what happens to people on entering Mexico and indeed other countries further south. Right? Like, can you explain how people seem to think that the US is the only state with the capacity for surveillance, which is manifestly untrue. Can you explain how people are like surveilled and, and um, like, like yeah. made legible on their way north? There are multiple multilateral and bilateral information sharing agreements that connect to criminal and, you know, quote unquote intelligence databases. Yeah. So when you are traveling internationally, you are subject to a web of surveillance that is, you know, in many ways connected to the United States. So the U.S. government knows you're coming, like you know, yeah. when you are countries away, just by virtue of using a passport. Um, but then for people who are traveling it through irregular means, there's also a web of biometric collection stations that have been set up by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, most notably uh, north of the Darien Gap. And so extra-continental migrants, those from outside of the Americas, as well as some Venezuelans and a few other nationalities, have their fingerprints taken, iris scans, pictures taken for facial recognition. And that is entered into a database that is shared directly with the U.S. government. Um, there's several other bilateral information sharing agreements that are focused particularly on biometrics. Um, with several Central American countries and with Mexico, obviously. And Mexico has just insane enforcement in southern Mexico. If you've ever tried to travel overland from Tapachula to Mexico City, you will go through numerous checkpoints where, you know, your information is taken. You know, a lot of times you're just paying a bribe to keep going, but it's something where, you know, they know who's coming. That's why you hear all the time in the media, like this many people are coming through the Darien Gap. How do they know that? Well, they have these biometric, you know, information yeah. collection stations. But I think just more broadly, like coming through the southern border as a refugee or just as a migrant is probably the stupidest way to come into the United States if you are trying to, you know, do a terrorist attack because like Border Patrol despite what they like to say, they are not overwhelmed. You know, if you divide the number of people coming over by the number of agents, it's far less than one migrant per agent per day. So they have a pretty good lock on the border. There's not a lot of people getting through undetected. Those who turn themselves in, which is the vast majority of people, they are subject to um, all of the same surveillance and security checks I just mentioned. They get their DNA sample taken at the border. 
They give all of their information and then they are not let out of custody if they trigger any kind of security flag. And it can just be like, they're from Yemen. They're from Afghanistan. Sometimes they're just detained because of that. But any of those, if any of those checks are triggered, they're detained for the duration of proceedings. They never see the outside of a prison. So this idea that terrorists are sneaking over the border is frankly stupid. I think, you know, if we think back to 9-11, I think they all came on visas. Yeah, yeah. And like, the system makes it so much easier for someone who is wealthy and white uh, and, and otherwise privileged to come to this country that like, it's ridiculous to think that a state actor like Russia wouldn't take advantage of that rather than, uh, yeah, yeah, attempting to, to walk someone through the border where they're about to have, like encounter some of the most intense state surveillance that can happen to a person. And you start off in a prison. So, like, yeah. why would yeah. you do that? And you may it never leave it. Any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sure there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, some people who have ties to foreign intelligence. Sure. I mean, it could happen, but it's like so the number is so vanishingly small. And I think another important thing to note is when people are processed, they have an obligation to attend an immigration court hearing. And when I looked at the statistics for Russian asylum seekers in particular, because I've seen a lot of this rhetoric of like Russia sending spies over the border. So 98.5% of them show up to their immigration court hearings. Are you going to do that if you're a spy? You're going to subject yourself to another round of security checks and, you know, spill your entire asylum story, subject yourself to cross-examination? No, you're not. So, I don't know. People have watched that film, uh, the TV series, The Americans, a little too much, uh, (laughs) losing their minds. Okay, so I think, yeah, it's really important to also point out, like, when we're talking about... Like the potential for bad actors, like, yeah, like, sure, maybe there's someone who's come who's done something bad, or maybe there's someone who comes who will do something bad. It doesn't mean that everyone else who came is in any way complicit in that. Like, we haven't given them another way to come here. It's not like right. they had to take the bad guy route because they chose to. Like, you, no one would be picking up their children and walking across the desert and then spending sometimes up to a week in camps which are currently below freezing at night sometimes with you know like a blanket or like a a tent or maybe a wooden shelter if they're lucky like like no one would be doing that if there was an easier option and, and it, it's ludicrous to like claim that these people's asylum claims or, or or the fact that they should be welcome here is in any way impacted by the actions of somebody else who might have taken the same route. yeah i mean the other thing too is just because the border is so closed off by policies that restrict access to asylum it has supercharged the strength of criminal groups that bring people to the border and i will say that they are spreading a lot of misinformation you know they use this reporting from the right wing calling the border open to advertise their services and they might very well tell people that it's a lot easier than it actually is and that they have an easier chance to get asylum they actually do i mean i don't discount the power of misinformation but those i have seen over the past six seven years um, especially since the trump administration really tried to close off access to asylum i've seen those groups grow in power i've seen the price that people pay to cross the border grow both financially and just in the amount of suffering that they have to endure so when we talk about border security and national security I would argue that border restrictions actually make us much less safe because 
you know, criminal groups now completely control the border. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, even a person who just wanted to cross the border on their own could do so, you know, if they knew the way they could just try to cross. And now if you try to do that without paying the criminal groups who really control it, you will be killed. Yeah. And that's happened. Uh, multiple yep. times in the last few months. We're talking of misleading advertising claims. Uh, we have to take a short break to hear some of them, and we'll be back in a moment. Okay, we're back. Um, one thing that I want to talk about that we haven't got to yet is that, like, the the failed government response isn't just federal or well it, it is both federal and local but i wanted to talk a little bit about this that the federal funding that san diego county got that that it reallocated towards uh, a quote-unquote welcome center right mm. and mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah we, we're both very familiar with the welcome center it got it got three million dollars initially and then it got it got three million more uh, because apparently uh, none of us are doing anything useful anywhere else and, and don't merit any help do you want to talk first of all about just like what the conditions are like? They were like, you've just come out of being detained in the desert uh, for maybe up to a week. It's cold. Uh, we feed you, but like uh, we wish we could feed you more and better. You don't have a change of clothes, right? Then you've been detained. You could have been detained for one night, two nights, several more nights. And then you hit this welcome center. So can you like, I can think what how we would like to pe treat people who have just been through all that, but... Can you explain to us how people are treated when they when they arrive at a welcome center? Well, it's they're not arriving there. They're picked up from detention by the nonprofit that's administering yeah. the welcome center in what look like prison buses, right? I mean, it's I, I can't un, I can't imagine that someone getting on one of those buses understands that they're not just at another stage of detention, yeah. right? So they get to this fenced-in abandoned school. They are lined up and they're forced to give all of their information to the nonprofit workers. They are, you know, mostly not Spanish. I think maybe like 40% Spanish speakers. I'm not sure the exact percentage, but there, yeah. there's people from all over the world. There's no paid interpreters on site. And so, you know, they do have this little script that they read in the beginning saying like, you're not detained, like this is a welcome center, whatever, but they run it through Google Translate and then play <laughs> the Google Translate like over the megaphone, which it's like, have you ever tried to like understand someone screaming something into a megaphone? Never mind yeah. the fact that it's like Mandarin Google Translate, like people, I guarantee you, they still think they're in prison. And so then they go, they have to sometimes wait for hours in this intake line. Only then they're given a ticket to eat, like probably some of the worst food I've ever seen. Like, I, you know, people are not eating a lot when they're at the open air detention sites. And then they're really not eating a lot when they're in detention. And I've seen people refuse the food there because it's that bad. And it's like, they're standing in a line for hours, not having eaten, probably not having slept and God knows how long, Yeah, you know, having this garbled message played to them over a megaphone. Um, so anyway, they get through all that. And then um, they're told they have to make their own way, you know, to their sponsor. And those who don't have the money to do so are provided with, I think it's up to maybe two or three days of shelter or a hotel room before they are 
shipped off to another part of the country. And so the goal of the Welcome Center is to get rid of the migrants, to get them elsewhere. So, you know, 95% to 99% do have a place to go. Um, they don't all have the means to get there, but most of them do. Almost all have the means to get there. The other few, like the other, you know, one to 5%, they need help. They need, you know, maybe a place to stay for a couple of months. They need help getting a work permit. They might need help, you know, applying for asylum. But instead of investing in the resources that we need locally to help them, they're shipped off to New York, Chicago, or other places that have invested in those resources. Um, and that's really the same thing Greg Abbott was doing from Texas. But, you know, we're just putting a nicer... We call it a welcome center. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, so it's somehow great. better. Yeah. Yeah. And the welcome center, like, like we could go deeper into its funding, but I, I think it's fair to say that like, it's for one thing, it's doing things that CBP should do, right? Like, uh, like the transport specifically. The um, transport specifically, but also like this idea of doing an intake with every single person who comes through there is such a waste of money. Because it's like, it's infantilizing. These people have traveled across the world. You think they can't get to the airport on their own? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't focus resources on that, you know, one to 5% of people who really do need help. It wastes resources on people who really don't. They need Wi-Fi. They need a phone charger. Yeah. And maybe like a hard email. You know, they're getting the Wi-Fi and the phone charger, which is not provided by the organization that receives $6 million. It's provided by one of the few organizations, including my own, who are there providing services without county funding because we didn't want to be associated with this debacle. Yeah. And uh, another thing you do is family reunification there, right? You guys are helping take care of that. Yeah. Which, again, I think people are unaware that families need to be reunified, but they're still very much separated when they're in detention. Well, they're separated at open-air detention sites. They're separated yep. in detention. Um, we've documented since September, I think it's over 1,100 families now that have been separated. Almost half of them are spousal separations, but a lot mm -hmm. of times when, you know, wife and husband are separated, the kids are with one spouse or another. So, you know, technically it's a separation of a child. We see a lot of separations of like 18-year-old children yeah. from the rest of their families where they're sent to detention facilities and the rest of the family is released. So there's all, you know, grandma from grandkids or um, niece and nephew, sibling separations. I mean, it's all traumatic, right? It's just not the particular brand of Trump separation that people seem to care about. Right. Yeah, yeah. The quote unquote kids in cages. And right. That, yeah. Oh, they're people... still in the cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sadly, that has not gone now. away. Yeah. yeah, or their dad, but not both. Sometimes oh, both. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's equally... It's equally tragic, but it's more tragic that somehow we've normalized it. And like with this, this shit, immigration stuff only seems to be able to ratchet one way and it's further towards like insane degrees of cruelty, right? Like, yeah, the fact that Biden is doing what Trump did doesn't mean that Trump will do what Biden did if, if Trump is elected again, right? Like it, it, somehow they will find a way to make this even worse. Oh, absolutely. And I think the open air detention sites are a preview of what we'll see. You know, it's this idea of it being normal to deny people food, water, shelter, and medical care because they've, you know, committed this awful crime of crossing the border, which is like a misdemeanor, by the way. 
Um, and it's not yeah. even supposed to be illegal if you're seeking asylum. The Refugee Convention actually prohibits criminal prosecution of uh, folks who cross borders irregularly to seek asylum. And by and large, the U.S. attorneys, at least during the Biden administration, have stuck to that. You know, if you're arrested for crossing irregularly and you then apply for asylum, generally the charges will be dropped. So, but like this invader rhetoric, right? Like, oh, they're invading yeah. our country and whatever the white replacement theory, all of that is really driving this really normalization of the inhumane treatment of border crossers. Yeah. The point you made about like, yeah, you can cross between ports of entry and then claim asylum. And it's, it's one that seems to be completely missing from the discussion. Like I've seen countless times I've seen that uh, like misrepresented in, in other articles and it's it's in almost every single one yeah it's really disappointing like i i, I have very little respect left to lose for a lot of people who, who work <laughs> in like especially folks who wish to report on the border without visiting the border i just like um what are you, are you sparing yourself the trauma of seeing little children staying outside because like their trauma is much greater than yours you know and the things that they're coming away from are much greater than any trauma you're going to take on, I understand it's not very nice, but like we should face up to the not very nice things that our country does. Well, you're also members of Congress who legislate on the border or trade away the rights of asylum seekers without ever having met any of them. And those who do come to the border just go on the border patrol tour and don't actually talk to the migrants. And yep. so that's even worse, you know? But yeah, I agree. Like this idea that they're illegal is completely wrong. They're in a legal process. They're not prosecuted for illegal entry by and large, you know, unless they've tried multiple times. And even then, if they pass a credible fear interview, a lot of times those criminal charges are dropped. And so they're not illegal. This is a legal process. It's a legal way to access that process, especially when the ports of entry have been closed off to them. Yeah. And I think they've done to enter the US or like at any part of their journey disqualifies them from asylum, as you say, makes it like a quote unquote illegal, which is just kind of, I don't know, loaded language anyway. But yeah, they, they've taken every step to, take a, to make a legal asylum claim. And lots of them will be like extremely aware of having done that, like not wanting to, like if people wanted to walk out of uh, the oh, the open air detention sites, they could, they're, they're not quote unquote detained, right? But like people are so cautious that they don't want to do anything that might imperil their asylum claim. Yeah. And it's really sad because they already have by crossing the border between ports of entry. That's what Biden's asylum ban addresses. Yeah. And so they're sort of coming from a defensive posture with respect to their eligibility for asylum by virtue of having done that. But the criminal groups that are organizing their transport tell them that that's the legal way. And people who are coming into open air detention sites believe they are following a legal process, which, you know, they are to a certain extent, but there's definitely legal consequences for having access to the system that way. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like, yeah, many of these people are like, I have sat with dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people as they've explained to me the amount of time CBP one crashed on their phone the mm -hmm. their attempts to go to the u.s embassy in a city that might not be safe for them or to like transit through it you know like a, a regime that, that wants them dead uh you know hundreds of kurdish people have shared with me that they've tried to get visas for the u.s and failed and, and 
uh, they've they've tried every other option before trying this one. Um, yeah, think- most people have. Most yeah, people have. No one would do this. You know, it's not fun. It's it's not fun at all. No. Um, the last thing I wanted you to explain, Erica, is people are placed when they come through this whole system, right, in a defensive, uh, or they make a defensive asylum claim. Can you explain what that is and what the difference between affirmative and defensive asylum for people? Because again, it, it's in a lot of reporting I've seen, it, this is missing. Yeah. So if I came to the US on a visa, and then decided I wanted to apply for asylum, I would be applying affirmatively. So that means that I've never been apprehended by immigration. I've never been placed in any kind of removal or deportation proceeding. Removal is just like the legal term for deportation. And so when you apply affirmatively, your initial screening is before an asylum officer. It's ostensibly a non-adversarial hearing, but I've been in, I've been in a lot of them and that's not always the case but you know you don't have like a like a government attorney cross examining right. you it's just it's just the asylum officer who's supposed to be nice but they're not always um and then if you win if they approve your case that's the end you just get asylum and then you know that's a path to um citizenship if you are not approved then you would be placed in removal proceedings where you could present your asylum case before an immigration judge and so defensive is when you are apprehended or you turn yourself in at the border you are placed in removal proceedings so you don't get that first asylum interview before the officer you just go straight to immigration court and so when you're presenting your case in immigration court there's a government attorney who's actively trying to deport you I think most of the judges used to be government attorneys. And so they, many times it feels like they're also trying to deport you. (laughs) And the success of your claim is pretty much completely dependent on where it is adjudicated. So, and, you know, less also has to do with your nationality. So if you are applying for asylum before the Atlanta immigration court, pretty much 99% of those cases are denied. And there's some judges who've denied 100% of cases. And that's true for a lot of um, jurisdictions within the Southeast. And then, you know, you have your friendlier jurisdictions like San Francisco. San Diego is not too bad, actually. But, you know, you have other courts where you have a better chance depending on the judge. But it really depends on the location, the judge that you happen to get. You could present the same exact claim in different cities before different judges and have a completely different outcome. Yeah, there's no objective criteria. And the people know this too, but unfortunately, like to get yourself to San Francisco and then survive there, just as an example, right, until your court day comes up, is unfathomably expensive. Like for me, I I couldn't afford to get myself to San Francisco and make rent there. And uh, it's barely uh, possible in San Diego. So, yeah, it. And you don't you don't qualify for work authorization until I think you can apply five months after you've submitted your application for asylum. And in many cases you don't get your initial court date for months or years after you've entered mostly months, but people don't understand that you can lodge your asylum application before your first court date to get that clock going on your work authorization. And so people I see very commonly are waiting at least a year to get work authorization. And so, you know, not only would you have to survive in a high 
cost of living city, but without the legal ability to work. And so it's really hard for people when they first come to the United States. And, you know, un- unlike what is spouted many times in the right wing media space, there are no benefits available to someone who's seeking asylum. They're not getting any kind of government money. Yeah. 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 There's a, uh, I remember what it is. You have to be, it's like a burden of the state or something thing that you have to ward. Of, I can't remember when you, uh, public charge. So like it, on top of all this, like people aren't aware of that. It's very, uh, it's sad. Like, like I've had a bunch of people who I've interviewed or just befriended when I've been helping out in Nakumba who have been like, Hey, like, how do I find work? <laughs> like, well, like, uh, do you know, do you have, they, they didn't realize they wouldn't be permitted to work. Like, and even yeah. like we, we spoke to Amos the other day, it, he has offers of work, right. From his old employer. No, but they that he can't take them up on that because as you say he's he's got to s- sit doing nothing uh, for for 5 months until he's he's legally allowed to work which is it doesn't help anyone right it doesn't doesn't help migrants it doesn't help us like um it it just forces people to work for cash or for for low wage jobs which leaves them ripe for abuse or for non payment right. and and like it, it's a system that doesn't doesn't really work for anyone they have no rights as workers right they, they can also be end up doing very dangerous work. And we've seen that a lot. Well, I think something too, that's important to note yeah. is that there's obviously all these push factors toward migration, but a huge pull factor is the employment market in the United States. So we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of open jobs and, you know, people have to leave their country, but they also choose to go to a certain place. So many of them, yeah. like I said, almost all of them have some kind of tie to the United States, like family or friends, you can host them. Yeah. But it's, they're not going to come here if they can't get a job. And so it's important to note that as well. And I think what you're saying about the exploitation of migrants in the labor industry is really important because I think that, you know, that's part of why there are so many restrictions. Because when you do not provide a path to citizenship, you create a permanent underclass that is yeah. very vulnerable to exploitation. And I think that's by design. Yeah, like it, it, it. It works very well, right? Like it increases for, for people who are unconcerned with the well-being of other humans. Like, yeah, it, it crea- creates a constant pool of cheap and disposable labor. Yeah, because if they're invaders, you know, and they start to act up and demand their rights, it's very easy politically to just get rid of them. Yeah, them. and the, some of the same people who are deploying this close the border rhetoric, I'm sure, are also exactly. taking advantage of that undocumented labor. And Erica, if people want to help, they want to donate, uh, they want to learn more um, about this, is there a place where they can find you uh, or Alo Trolado on the internet? Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is alotrolado, A-L-O-T-R-O-L-A-D-O dot org. Um, to donate, there's a donate button there on the homepage, or you can put alotrolado dot org slash donate. Um, we are alotrolado underscore org on all of the social media platforms and if folks have people in their lives who are migrants who want more information about the asylum system i would recommend going to our tiktok page which has multiple videos in over a dozen languages um, including many indigenous languages on the asylum process Um, and then for you know those of us who are wanting to learn more our Instagram pages is more public facing. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. You guys have some excellent merch as well. Are you still selling your Chingala Migra t-shirts? Oh yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we yeah. have tote we have tote bags and mugs too. So. Okay, yeah, uh, just like uh, NPR but cooler. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we can customize the messaging too. Um, you know, I'm I, I can think of a few that probably aren't appropriate to to say in polite company, but if folks have suggestions for what they'd like to see in our merch, we'd be more than happy to take those suggestions on our info at aletrolala.org email. Perfect. Great. Yeah. I'm sure you'll be flooded with ideas. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Oh, oh, Jesus. I just spit cigarettes across the room. You spit approximately seven cigarettes. <laughs> I had a number of them in my mouth. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, a podcast about things falling apart. And you know what's constantly falling apart, but also never? Las Vegas, Nevada, where Garrison and I are right now reporting on the Consumer Electronics Show, which is why I just had seven cigarettes in my mouth. How are you doing, buddy? Great, we just lost about $20 at Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, one of the worst hotels on the Strip. Terrible place, horrible place, but I smoked a lot of cigarettes there, so that's not, it's not bad. I don't even like them, I just like doing things I can't do other places. You just like smoking indoors, is what you're saying. I do, I'm a big fan of it. Other things I'm a big fan of, innovative technology products, of which we saw perhaps, Very few. <laughs> perhaps three today. Very few. What we did do is spend... Seven to eight cumulative hours in different roundtable discussions of various 
industry experts on AI and the future they have prepared for us all. We have a fun episode coming for you, or a couple of them, about AI and what the tech industry wants for us all. But because Garrison got too drunk tonight. That's not true. <laughs> well, someone got too drunk tonight, and I'm not at liberty to discuss who. We're going to talk about the products today that were just absolute fucking catastrophes. And in order to help us talk about that, I would like to bring in our pinch-hitting guest star slash technological expert, Tavia Mora. Tavia, how you doing? I'm doing great. How did you like your first CES as a journalist? It's a little different, mm -hmm. but I was glad to be, get into places I would not otherwise get into. Yeah. Now, because you are an, an industry person, you help build that big sphere thing people might know. You hate. Well, you, you have no journalistic record, which means you and I had to have a, a good time lying to a lot of strangers today. Was it easy? Yes. It always is. That's the beauty of lying to strangers. It's never hard. Anyway, let's get into the products for the day. Let's talk about the dumbest. And again, folks, there's actually a lot of cool stuff we saw. There's some really interesting things. This is purely the bullshit. So let's roll on with the bullshit. What is our first piece of trash? Guest contestants. Let's just jump straight in and go to the Israel Pavilion. You're right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Tommy, bring, bring me that mixed drink I've got over there in the corner. So I don't know if you guys are aware, but um, there's some controversy around Israel and a number of other aspects. But by far their most egregious crime. <laughs> that is not something we should say. But, you know, a lot of, lot of problems, RE, that part of the world. And they have a pavilion every year at CES because the, the country uh, that, that calls itself Israel has a uh, significant tech industry. So we went down there, some interesting stuff occasionally. Not this year. This year it was all trash. And... We, uh, I tried one product at the Israel Pavilion, and it was from the company Iroma Sense. And I've been going to CES for about 15 years now, off and on. And I feel like every three years, another company is like, we're going to find a way to add smell to your television or gaming experience. First off, I like TV. I like video games. Never once have I wanted to smell them. That has never occurred to me. Garrison, have you ever wanted to smell a thing in a video game? No, not really. No, no, nobody does. Nobody does. Because smell is our most finicky sense. Seeing things, is always, even terrible things, is always interesting, right? I'm, I want to smell my way through Silent Hill 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds exactly. like a fun time. I don't want to do that. I don't want to smell my way through Grand Theft Auto 3. No. Like, that's a horrible time. And also, frankly, Las Vegas is so full of smells. Oh my, I think I'm we, good. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, had, we walked through so many... Just egregious odors today. Yeah. So we walk up to this, the most controversial year for the Israel Pavilion to exist. And the only place we stop, because I see Iroma Sense, and I have a thing. I've tried out every smell product that CES has had in the last decade and change. And I, I sit in front of this one, and there's like this, this thing that looks like a toilet seat attached to a computer. And they're like... You sit in front of it and you select the smell and it you you'll you'll experience the scent. And you could have this in a video game or a picture a friend or a lover sends you. So I sit down and I look at the menu and one of the options is peonies. Who doesn't like a nice peony, right? So I select it and I get shot in the eyes and nose. It burns. There's alcohol in there. It's like somebody maced me with perfume. Like 
It was not subtle. It was not like an elegant experience. It was like somebody, it was like Homer Simpson's makeup shotgun, but perfume. That is how I would rate the Iroma Sense company. The product, I think, uh, Iroma Sense is the, is the company. The product is called Centicon. They make social <laughs> media even more of a sensational experience. So I think a big part of their their pitch was you can link this up to your phone, like text messages or something like Twitter or Instagram, and then get sense blasted at your face via what's on Twitter, which sounds like, again, an awful time. I will say, this is an awful time. This company's doomed. There's a version of this that can succeed, and it requires more advanced nanotechnology than we have. But nobody wants to be able to send a nice smell to a loved one. Nobody wants to be able to send a nice smell to a friend. What people do want is you're like out in the world, and you like see a dead animal somewhere and it fucking reeks. Or you walk past part of a casino as we did earlier tonight. And it smells like an elderly person has been soiling themselves at a slot machine for 11 hours. And you just, you need someone you care about to know, right? That's the market. And if I could actually record a smell and send it, that's a product. That motherfucker's a product. Uh, imagine the scent-based podcasts we could develop. Oh yeah, yeah. When I do it, when I finally do the episode on Nicolas Cage, you could smell him as I talk about him. Okay, what, what what's the, what's the next uh, uh, silly product we should talk about? You want to talk about talking talking dogs? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Know. Yeah. So there's this company. This is a little bit of a teaser, right? where they've like, tomorrow, make your dog talk or something. Make your dog, cat, and horse talk. And horse. <laughs> they, they did not promise cats and horses when no. we interviewed them. No. Um, this is a company that it seemed like a nonsense product. I'm still, I think it's 80% nonsense. But like what it actually is, is there, there were a couple of college students there who specialize in animal behavior. And they had, they had taken a group of, I think it was 55 was the number they gave us dogs over six months. And like exposed them to different stimuli and recorded their body images and built basically like an AI model off of that. So that if you send in a picture of a dog, it'll tell you how the dog is feeling. And they hope to get it to visual. I don't think at the moment... It's near where it would need to be to be a viable product. And they're also not selling it right now. Maybe something will come of this. It's one of those things where objectively, would there be a use in people being able to determine if a dog does or does not want them to get closer? Yes, it would stop a lot of people from getting bitten by dogs and a lot of dogs from getting unreasonably punished for biting people who are fucking with them, right? I agree with that. But- I don't think anyone who is the kind of person who is going to get bitten by a dog because they touch a dog that doesn't want them to get touched is going to use an app to check whether or not that dog is angry at them. Like, I simply don't believe in that as a thing that people will do. So I feel like it's not a doomed effort for science. Sure, the the unending quest of mankind to understand our, our fellow sentient beings on this planet is, is valuable, but I don't think it's a val- valid product idea. Yeah, and I think, think mostly my problem is that the framing of the marketing is incredibly misleading. Yes. It's not trying to make your dog talk. It's about analyzing the facial expressions of your dog to convey yes. emotions, which yes. is actually a, a great product. I, 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 think I've, I think we saw stuff like that here at CES last year as well. Yeah. Um, they always try. I see this every couple of years, too. Someone's going like, to, we're going to teach you what your dog means when it does something, yeah. or what your cat means or whatever. Yeah. This brings me to a sad part of the story. So there's a company called Tact AI. I think they're Korean. And 
they had the best branding of like merch, not merch, of like shit they held out. They had like a fake passport and a fake plane ticket to take you to the land of AI. Ooh. Um, AI is the big thing at this at this show. And their product was, it's an app that while you're driving, it watches your face and it tells your mood and it gets to know you and it knows, oh, now you're sad. I'm going to pick from your sad playlist. Oh, it's raining outside. I know what you like during rainy days. Yes, that's the fake plane ticket from LAS Las Vegas airport to the AI world. They put more effort into this than the product because the product would switch randomly between happy and angry and neutral. They told me it couldn't read me with a mask, but when I took my mask off, it gave me the same results. There was no difference whatsoever. Yeah. When I had done it, I had to over-exaggerate my emotions in order to get the angry expression to show up or the surprise expression. Yeah. Uh, just a horrible... For one thing, when you talk about like the animal thing, people have always wanted to know more about how their dogs and cats actually felt about them, right? That's the thing that's, that, that will always perplex mankind because we love them and we don't speak the same language. No one has ever wanted their car to change the music based on their facial expressions. That's not a single, not one person who has ever driven a car has, has wanted this product to exist. Imagine you like almost get into a car accident, your face tenses up and they change the music and make it <laughs> play like this like somber tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. just, a, just a horrible idea. But you know what's a good idea, folks? Speaking of products, services, all the things that support this podcast, why don't you go go on ahead on down? Just go to whoever advertises next. Call your bank and wire transfer everything in your bank account to them. You know, just do it. Just do it right now. Just do it right now and say Kara Robert or send it to me if you're rich. I don't care unless you're rich. Then send it to me. Good night. Oh, we're back. Wow. What a great podcast we're doing. What's our next product on the agenda? Um, You know, I think climate change is a problem that we talk about on this show quite, quite a is lot. Is it? Because I had a conversation with a guy who said that he thought it was a lie. Uh, did, did you today? I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a firefighter. Oh, great. Well, I, I, think, I think that firefighter will be quite busy. He, yeah, he, he sure is going to be. But I, I think there's a possibility that we might be able to just solve climate change with personal wearable technology. Oh, good. And yes, you, you absolutely. T- you talk oh, to yes. a company. Oh, silent cicada. That offers a solution. Now, per- so this is a, oh, God, I think this was part of the Korean. Uh, no, no, it, it's Chinese. This was part of the Chinese chunk of the uh, Eureka Park, which is like where all the little people little companies and whatnot not a whole bunch of people. tech startups some of the all of the coolest stuff is there and all of the worst shit is there which yes. is why that's where we started right so this is a company where they they brag it's a personal watch sized worn like a watched air conditioner the company is called silent cicada which makes me think of the book silent spring which was about how all of our pesticides are killing everything <laughs> um which uh, maybe not the branding they want but it's a the form factor is actually quite nice. It's like, it is like a watch. It has this, like the frame of the watch lifts up and that's the battery. And you can switch them out or whatnot if you want to keep it going and, and, and stay charged with this personal air conditioner. Here's the problem. It doesn't work. 
doesn't do a single thing. And it was one of those things where I see it's a single side hand watch. And I'm like, is this just going to cool down my hand? That's I feel like if you wanted to cool a person down, based on what I know from like medical training about heat stroke, if you want to cool a person down who's overheating, back of the neck, right? Like that's going to be your go-to, not maybe the wrist. But he puts this thing on and he like pushes it down. He's like, in a couple of minutes, you'll notice that you'll, you're a lot cooler. And I'm like, okay. How does it work? And like, I'm not an expert on any of this. I was expecting him to say something like, well, the way your body's heat regulation, you can trick it by doing this or that. And he's like, no, 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 it's an acupuncture thing. This is where like your acupuncture point to cool your body down is. And I'm like, well, all right. I guess we'll see if it works. Yeah, and I, I, I first thought it was like, like a tiny fan, but that is nope, not the case. Nope. As far as I can tell, it does nothing because that is what it did to me in the five minutes I had it on is nothing. Yeah, I mean, you really humor the guy. Like you, you did not just put it on for like a minute and then walk away. You, you were, you were with him for a solid, a, a solid chunk of time. I have, I don't believe in acupuncture because I've done, had it done to me when I had, a, I had a guy, a guy who convinced my parents it would cure my allergies and it did not, it did nothing at all. But my grandpa who had Parkinson's suffered terribly from it. And the only thing of all of the different shit we tried with his like fucking VA shit, the only thing that gave him early was acupuncture so i'm not a believer but i'm open to the possibility but i can say based on my own experience this shit did nothing like that that is what i can say about this fucking thing is it did not a goddamn thing so i don't know that's i was disappointed i would love a watch size personal air conditioner but i cannot imagine the more, more useless product than the one that i tried i mean that, that just doesn't <laughs> When you say a watch size personal air conditioner, of course that that's not going to work. Like it's not going to work. Somebody makes like a jacket that air can. Yeah, I could see how that could work. It could cool you down. And it's. I'm also, by the way, folks. I'm not saying I think acupuncture works. I'm just saying I'm I'm open to some magical thinking in this realm because of what happened to somebody I cared about, but it didn't work. Um, so don't buy don't buy this acupuncture air conditioner watch. It will not help you. Silent cicada doesn't work. You know. We did a lot of walking today. There's CES is pretty big. The Las Vegas Convention Center is pretty large. Uh, the Venetian is pretty large. And I, I, I like to stay fit. Sometimes I go on jogs. Sometimes I go running. And sometimes I worry I feel like that this is a bit. I feel like you're, you're doing a bit. I don't know. Maybe it's just your face. I'm being followed behind me, you know? <laughs> okay, it is a bit. Great. Yes. <laughs> when I'm jogging. And I, I wish there was a product that made me feel safer when jogging. That could alert me if there's like a stalker. So, by far of us, the person who has, well, at least the best situational awareness relative to me is Tavia. So, we're, we're in this little room. I guess you were there too and you didn't notice. So I'll give the crown to Tavia for this. There's a, there's a booth. It's all booths. It's all like these weird cubicles, right? And each cubicle will be like, sometimes it's a company. Sometimes it's just like a dude with his invention. And one of the booths we could see from the corner of our eye, a white all caps piece of paper stapled to it that just said, don't get attacked from behind. <laughs> now? I think it was written in... Comic Sans? It might have been Comic Sans. It may have been Comic Sans. I posted Sans. the picture online. If it's not, it might, yell, I might be scream wrong. at Tavia for being a liar. Wow. 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 I, I, uh, it, that's, that's quite a thing. Like, you see a sign at a, con at a convention like that that says, never get attacked from behind. You're, you have to know what it's about. So we went. And the promo video for it was absolutely incredible. It started with about 10 to 15 seconds of your typical motion graphics. Uh, typography kind of 
animating on and off. And then we get to a live action portion where we see a woman uh, putting on and setting up their, I guess, Sims technology. I'm not sure exactly the name of the product. It's a itself. harness. That's it's like, like a harness. It's got like yellow that like lights up when it's under a light. It's like a, it's like a runner's harness with a little bitty square sized camera. It's about the size. You know how food carts will have those little squares. You plug them into the phone, you run your card through. It's about that size, but it's a camera and it goes on the back of this harness. Right. And so we see this woman setting that up on her phone and then going on a jog and she's jogging along. And then there is a single, there's man. a rapist, there's a rapist. And he's, he is sitting by the side of the road, leaning against a wall, looking, pretending to look at his phone. And he sees the jogger. And mind you, like there is literally no one else on mm. this path except it's this, this woman, woman and this, and this rapist. Guy. That's all. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be light about it. That is who the characters are in this film. It's definitely a dude sitting there. And so she passes him. Okay, very well. <laughs> and so she runs past him. And then he gets up and he starts jogging after her in the most like yeah. limp-wristed way. Like, not fast, not aggressively, honestly. Outside of the fact that we know from the setting of the scene that this man is a sex criminal. There's nothing about his run that is aggressive. He looks like an out-of-shape guy doing his best to get into shape, maybe for his kids, right? To try to live a little bit longer, take care of his family. Sure. You know, that's how he looks in the video. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that this uh, piece of technology works is that if somebody gets close enough to the backside of you, where we'll this talk can, more about this later, where this can see you, um, it will send a, <laughs> I think, an audio alarm to your headphones as well as a text message to your It'll phone. Bu- or watch. You can have it buzz your watch, or you can have it like uh, interrupt your music in your headphones that someone is behind you. Right. And so <laughs> she turns around and she puts out her palm towards him, like stop. And he does. He just stares at her and then turns it's around like she and shot runs him with away. The laser. He runs away. <laughs> That is the end of the interaction. It's the most one of the most bizarre videos I'd ever seen. <laughs> it's it's so maybe we'll post it. Look, find us on Twitter. Find find me at I write okay. It'll be up there somewhere. Probably after me yelling about fucking I don't know a lot of things. It was um, clearly advertised towards women. Every picture that I saw in look, that booth was um, showing a woman jogging. I I absolutely understand. Number one. Not shocked at all that women are more likely than men to feel afraid while jogging. Um, one thing that was interesting to me, because they they had some statistics. I didn't look into the provenance of these statistics, but one of them was like 60 or 70% of women are afraid of being hurt while jogging. But like 50%, it, it was it was like... Ninety percent are afraid oh, to yeah, go jogging, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and fifty percent are are afraid that they'll like get physically yeah. hurt. So a lot of them, a lot of them, part of what's dishonest about that is that a lot of women are scared of the yeah. Ninety two percent of women are scared for the safety when running. Fifty one percent are scared, afraid of being physically attacked. Right, and what that means to me is that because I am I, I I run basically every day, and I am scared of being injured while running because people are shitty at driving. And we live in the United States of America where everybody has a gigantic car. Anyway, not to, to, to miscount that, but I think that's a dishonest, a little bit of a dishonest framing that said, I understand that like, yeah, if you're a woman, the you, you are at heightened risk while jogging. That is a scary thing. I do not think this product is going to improve your safety. I think it is probably going to piss you off and maybe let make you want to run less which is statistically likelier to have a negative impact on your health because it is 
it just sets off an alarm whenever someone is behind or you when, when you're running. detected behind yeah, you by an AI camera. And like where I run, and I run where a place a lot of women run there too, there's always someone behind it's you. Like That's behind, the nature of running trails. Like behind you by like 20 feet. Not like, yes. not like right behind you, like by yeah. a decent amount. And I... You, you you can debate what are good self-defense tools, blah, 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 blah. Mace is pretty effective for these sorts of scenarios. I don't think this this camera and turning around and holding your hand out is going to be extremely effective, at least not more effective than pepper spray. I think it was also mentioned that a really large dog or a horse, if I'm correct. They, they did say horse. They did absolutely say horse. Yeah, if a horse is picked up by this thing, then it would consider it to be... Um, uh, and an int- intruder uh, assaulter. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure the term that they would use. I just, right. I, I, we asked him about all this, just trying to clarify. Cause like I, my first thought was that, cause sometimes you ask people stuff like this and they have a good answer. Like last year we talked to these people who had like this pair of glasses. If you're hard of hearing, it auto translates and projects into the glasses, the language. And so like my first gotcha was like, is this stored anywhere? Because if it's stored anywhere, then maybe you're giving someone's conversation to the government. And they had an answer to that, which was that like, no, there's nothing stored locally. It's all on the device and none of it is saved anywhere. Good answer, right? This question, I'm like, how do you discriminate between someone running up behind you for a banal reason, like you're on a running track and something who's a danger? And their answer was, oh, it all pauses your music and sets off an alarm and you have to discriminate, which is like, well, because the whole, the tagline is don't look behind you. And it's like, well, then you have to look behind you to know if it's a fucking threat, right? You have to look behind you. Horrible product. Don't buy this thing. I understand the need. I'm not saying it's not a real need. This is a bad product for serving the now i don't think you should buy this product but there are some products i think you should buy Mm -hmm. and that is the products and services that support this podcast you know garrison this is the first time i've ever been proud of you but right now right here right here right now right now you know what at like 1 a.m 1 a.m 1 a.m las vegas wednesday morning las vegas garrison and i are gonna hug for the very first time uh but you all listen to these ads Oh, oh man. Wow. We really we really worked through some stuff there, listeners. It was extraordinarily touching. There were tears. We're never gonna talk about this again. Uh but we are what we are gonna talk about is I I I wanna talk about two AI products before we get to the one actually kind of fucked up product. The first is this is this image generation backpack. So I know uh, we, God are, damn it. we are, you know, coming back to school from winter <laughs> yeah, break. Of course. Yeah, you of course. Sure. Showing, you know, your best fashion when you're going back to Show school. Show off your memes. Absolutely. So what if you had a backpack that not only had a very low res LED panel on the back, but also you could upload whatever you want using the power of AI. Of and course. Robert was able to test out. <laughs> I sure was. The, the power of image so- of, of this Image generation backpack. This is, this is a backpack with a screen that would have been out of date in 2009, but <laughs> it, it can take input from your phone. So I put in Tom Sizemore, but not the sex pest Tom Sizemore. Now, if you're not aware of this, Tom Sizemore sexually assaulted an 11-year-old. That's not a joke. But I wanted to see what, what it would return. And... <laughs> It gave us a picture of a man who did not look like Tom Sizemore. No, not, we not were baffled. We spent some time Googling. We figured it out. 
if you Google Tom Sizemore with a beard, which we did not, that is not what we asked it, you get a photo of Tommy Lee Jones that looks exactly pretty, like pretty similar. What, what the AI served us. Now, why did it give us Tommy Lee Jones with a beard when we asked for Tom Sizemore not looking like a child sex predator? Maybe because that's who Tommy Lee Jones is. Maybe Tommy Lee Jones is Tom Sizemore if he wasn't a child sex predator. Now, I, I, that's I, what the AI said. And who are we to doubt it? Now, I, I, I did also te- test uh, David Lynch smashing a, smashing a computer, which was pretty was was a pretty accurate. That response. one worked out. Yeah. I, again, I, this is a pretty gimmicky product. I don't even know how much they were selling it for. Happy side AI backpack. Uh, it is a gimmicky product, and we made fun of it. I will say this. At, we spent our whole morning in different AI panels. There will be more in-depth reporting on that later. This is our first takes. But of all of the AI shit we saw that day, this is the one that worked best. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I will say this. It did exactly what it promised. One of the other AI products that did not work as well. <laughs> Robert, I think, I, think, I think you could take it away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hand me that one. So this was called, God, we something? What was, we, what the, we head? We head. Yes. <laughs> we head. Head as in what happens if somebody sucks your dick. And we as in we work. That's not that's not what it refers to. So listener, to. I want you as you're driving to work, your kids in the car, speakers at max. By the way, children, Santa Claus does exist. And if you don't get good presents this year, it's because he's particularly angry at you. Anyway, we had great product, terrible product. It looks like the t- it's a it's an Android where its entire face is like a normal human face projected on two phones in a T shape. Like one phone straight, one phone lateral, and then like a crude, shitty robot head that can kind of turn and lift with a camera above it. There's a photo again. If you go to I write OK and scroll down to some degree, you can find our post of this. But it's like it's very off putting. It's like an, a photorealistic human face talking on this like weird glitched out face that has like by my count, four different screens, right, that are kind of separated by pieces of metal. So it's build as your AI friend. Uh, the That is like the thing that they, they wrote on the, 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 the product line that like this is going to be your new AI best buddy. And so I, I decided to like talk with it. You stand in a certain line and you ask it questions. I asked it how to make thermite first and it had a pretty well, well for, 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 first it got very confused and totally crashed first half of it went black as soon as i had and the guy had to reset the machine and then he tried whispering again well how do first, you make thermite i want to walk you through my emotional journey listeners first i asked it how to make thermite and it died and i thought that's kind of cool did I did I trigger some sort of like DHS like fail yeah, safe thing? That's pretty dope if I did. But then he gets it back on and it works. Um, so it's not. It's just a dog shit robot. It it, it did give you some basic ingredients. It gave, it gave me the basic thermite. ingredients for thermite. I and asked it, it did warn you that when making thermite, make sure you follow proper safety protocols, which I appreciate. That's fair. Next, I asked it if I wanted to make mustard gas. Would um would ammonia and bleach be sufficient? And then it said, I cannot answer that question for you. And then we got uh, bored and walked away. And then we got bored and walked away. Went on to the next thing. Don't buy this. We had terrible product. I don't know why you'd buy it. Do you want, listener, have you ever wanted to have the disembodied head 
of a stranger in your house that you could ask questions and get mediocre Google result answers to? If so, we had. It's like somebody looked at the Amazon Alexa and was like, you know what people love about the Amazon Alexa is that it's kind of off-putting and shitty. And what they hate about it is that it works relatively it's quickly. Actually, useful sometimes, <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Yes. Let's let's make it more off-putting, but also slower. That's that's we head. So, don't buy any product with head in the name. This continues to be a good buy. Speaking of head, shouldn't say that. There was a there was a there was a hair growth. Oh hell yeah, bro! There, there was there was a hair growth helmet um, from a German startup. Um, God, it would be the Germans. They have such a problematic history with hair. I think I think it comes out later this year. It's a, yeah. by a company called Niostem. I mean, by all accounts, it seemed like it worked based on the data they presented to us. It, I'm not it, a hair growth. Was, look, for, for it, it was it, mostly 3D printed. Yeah, it, it, there, there's it, it just I don't uh, know. My assumption, I can't promise that it doesn't work. My assumption is that if somebody puts an electronic Helmet on that claims seven to days, regrow hair. Seven days a week. It's lies. It's lies. They say seven days a week, you keep this thing on for a half hour and your hair will grow back. In, in like six months. Perhaps that's possible. I don't know. I'm not a dermatologist. My assumption is that that's a fucking con. And as a note, folks, we don't have a lot of ethics here. And it could happen here. We have less of them behind the bastards. But one product we will not sell is hair growth shit. Except for DIY HRT. I mean, also, we're not going to, like, well, it estrogen. Does. The goal. Okay. Also, we're not selling. We're just going to tell you how to make Look, it. Look, if you want to teach people how to make HRT, we will host you on this podcast, but we will not take your money. We'll that's, take, that's right. We'll take some shady gambling company's money. That's true. That's true. And we used to pay for several of our employees' HRT. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But, I mean, what if it's science? They mentioned... If I recall, I think they said something about stimulating stem cells in the scalp. Does that? Yes, that is what they said. Yeah, it seems like your scalp's, scalp's probably full of stem cells. I don't know about you guys, but every day I find a fetus and I just rub that shit on my head. And that's why my hair is amazing. Speaking of fetuses? No, that doesn't yeah, really. Speaking of fetuses. So I, I, I want to kind of probably close by talking about the most fucked up. The actual, actually, the most fucked up product I saw there's there's other fun products like this like this uh, handy masturbation device from Norway which seemed to work decently we're well. We're going to talk about um, that in a future episode. Garrison Garrison got handed straight away an ejaculation condom to masturbate in on the CES floor. We met our only other iHeartMedia colleague there. Oh it was God. great. That was, it was insufferable. But that was the first piece of merch I was given, which is pretty cool. They used to just hand you liquor back in my day. Now they get cum sheaths. Unbelievable. The the most actually fucked up product is from this company called MM Guardian. It is a monitoring uh, software for your child's smartphone. They also sell smartphones specifically built with this software already built in. Um, these products are pretty common, especially among like conservative Christians. Even even common among some more like overprotective liberal parents. I mean, even when we were on the floor. I was the one that was approached um, for this particular product, which is what kind of led us to their booth, which I think I was um, specifically targeted for. Yeah, for some reason, they didn't come right up to me. Yeah, they didn't. Come, they didn't come to me either. Was just because I might have been dosing myself with kratom from a dropper bottle. You might have been you. 
What? Wearing my custom black speed suit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wearing wearing an outfit that makes you look like a ginger solid snake. Yes. (laughs) Thanks. Tell me that's a lie. Somebody, anyone in this room, tell me that's not accurate. I mean, I'm blonde, not a ginger. It's a good look. I'm not saying it's not. But um, anyway, this this product, you know, part of part of their marketing can it can seem very compelling, right? They get it 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 alerts the this parent's phone if if they detect cyberbullying on your kid's app. They detect like explicit images being sent to to your kid. They even had Um, some key phrases that they would watch for if somebody was texting like uh, texting like KYS yourself is self-harm stuff you know a a, a, a lot of this kind of stuff you you, you can also block certain sites block block adult content you know just kind of basic parental controls but there's kind of an uh, an underside to products like these and I asked them about that one being that because this is, you know, scanning all the text messages, um, all of the stuff from like Snapchat, Discord, any kind of texting apps. This could, this sort of product could also out uh, a closeted kid as gay to their parents, to their possibly, very likely, conservative uh, Christian parents, because that's the types of products did, that these really He did really not target. like you asking that question. He did not like that question <laughs> at all. But he didn't like my second question even more, uh, which is relating to, you know, they are marketing this product to kind of stop child grooming, to stop child sexual exploitation. But most, like, child sexual uh, assault and child sexual abuse happens from within the home. And if we have a parent who's constantly monitoring their kid's cell phone, this can also be used to, like, surveil your child to see if they're talking about parental abuse, if they're trying to send messages to people about this. This is a pretty common problem with these sorts of products. And I asked the the, 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 the CEO or the CTO about this, and... He, he did not really like that question. He tried to deflect to some sort of vague notion of, oh, well, because we care about privacy, you know, we can't build in any safeguards if, if we see anything suggesting this or if the, if the app sees anything suggesting this. And it's, it's, it's really up to, to, we're trying to put control back in the parents' hands. And he kind of made this like parental rights sort of argument. So th- this is... There, there is a lot of products like this. There's a lot of like internet monitoring products. Uh, people just recently learned about this this conservative product uh, called Covenant Eyes because the new speaker of the house used it. Oh, with his, and Covenant Eyes has been around for like a 20 long time, years. A, a long, long time. A long spell. Um, what, what makes this one just interesting is that they're actually selling like Samsung smartphones. A, a phone, yeah. And I, I with, am- with the software built in. And I, I asked them because they are they are fit. they said that we were selling an app for a while, but you know that could it, it would work differently depending on the phones. So we decided decided to sell a hardware device, and so I asked them, "Is there any branding on this device that would make it clear that people have a device that has this software on it?" And he had this long speech about how you know for the good for the best of the relationship, all the child psychologists we talk to say that you should tell your kid. That you have this on there, that you're listening to it, but when I he handed me the <laughs> but phone, but that's not answering the question. Yeah, he handed me the phone, and I said, "Is this the production model?" And he said, "Yes, this is identical." The pro- absolutely nothing, just says it's a Samsung phone. Yep, you can lie to your kid very easily with this fucking thing. So yeah, that that is that is one product that gave me the most ick out of everything we saw today. That's the most. Outside of all of the AI Outside stuff, of all of, like the the and again, ridiculous we AI have a, and like we have a lot we're DHS working stuff. on you about the AI as a little bit of a spoiler at at simultaneously, perhaps the exact same minute 
Garrison made a California state police uh, sheriff furious at them, police chief furious at them. And I pissed off a senior executive at Google and a senior AI executive at McDonald's. On on, on two sides of Las you're, Vegas you're, at you're, simultaneous panels. At the same times. You're going to hear both of that shit later. But for right now, do we want to close? Is there one other? You know what? We're going to have a whole episode on the stuff that, that made us feel happy. I feel like we should talk about one thing that was cool. One of the really neat products there. Um, and while I'm talking about this, my, uh, my surfs will, will find it. Do you guys remember in like watching Star Trek or like fucking reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? The idea of a universal translator that was like simple and effective, and you could just like talk into it and so could the other one. It would translate your conversations. There's a number of ways people are working on for that. I know that there are apps that are to some degree successful. There was a company there called Time Kettle that just had a little device. It was about three inches long, maybe an maybe an inch thick, a little bit less rectangular prism that there was this guy who spoke Mandarin. I obviously speak English and we were able to have a perfectly fluent conversation passing this thing, talking to this thing and passing it back and forth. And it would speak for us. It worked great. It also has within the body of the machine, you can pop it out and it has two different little earbuds. You put one in your ear, one in the others and you can like walk and talk and it worked really well. Um, I'm not enough of an expert on translation technology to say this is unique, but I can say, this is something that like if uh, that I would absolutely buy to travel with. It's a really, it, uh, again, not saying it's like absolutely unique because I'm not an expert on this, but I was impressed with the degree to which it allowed fluent conversation, including the use of idioms. And he said it, it was, I, I tested with Mandarin. We had a, a decent length conversation that was very intelligible. He said it worked with something like 40 languages and it's the, that's the kind of thing that makes CES amazing because this was five feet away from the dog shit robot had- face that I asked about thermite. And it, that's the thing. You get this like two people, one man whose dream is to connect the world and, and break the barriers of language. And one man who wants to make a robot that makes you hate the world. And both of them are next to each other. And there's also free liquor. And by God. CES is a good time. The Consumer Electronics Show. Tavia, how are you feeling about your first one? This is my second one, but I'm as, feeling as pretty a, good. As a journalist. Oh, as a journalist, yeah. yes. Um, it was enlightening. I got to see things that I did not know that I could see as a journalist. And um, a lot of it was very f- a lot of fluff, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, it's mostly nonsense. And, 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 you know, aside from that one guy we watched die, nobody died. Garrison... Um, how did you like eating dinner at Morimoto? Pretty good oh, restaurant. That's probably the best meal I've had in recent memory. Um, <laughs> well, well, then that justifies the company expense. Yeah, no, that was the the <laughs> the food we had tonight and the very long walk back to the hotel <laughs> was quite the experience. Well, I wanted to have a fight with you with cons- with the Excalibur Hotel's glasses. <laughs> a fun thing about Vegas: if you're drunk enough, you can throw glasses at each other in the street outside, Some, and no one can get stopped sometimes get angry. multiple times because the glass weirdly doesn't break after it hits a Robert Evans that was just Garrison my glass broke immediately all right well I think I think that probably does it for us today we will be back probably tomorrow with more uh, just just 
just game-changing, revolutionary technology. Yeah, game-changing technology. Most importantly, folks, the hotel we're staying in right now, which is one step up from the cheapest. I didn't put Garrison and Circus Circus again. They advertise that they have IVs here. So my plan, we're going to do the exact opposite of whatever you do to avoid a hangover. And then we're all going to get IVs in the morning. It's going to be a good time. Stick around. Oh, yeah. Tavia, you have anything to plug? Um, you can follow me at C-U-T-Mora on Twitter or X, depending on your preference there. Or you can see my work at um, TaviaMora.com. Tavia illustrated both of my books, After the Revolution and A Brief History of Ice. And she also made that big, weird sphere thing in the middle of Las Vegas. So follow her, C-U-T-Mora. And uh, yeah, you know what? Until next time, folks, find somebody who looks like they might be a robot. And just stab them a little bit. Not in the abdomen where there's pieces. A little on the arm. Slash them on the arm. You know what? That can't hurt anybody. Anyway, we're done. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Oh, man, welcome back to It Could Happen Here, the only podcast that takes sole responsibility for the assassination of... So, uh, we're back. We're still at CES. Uh, We're slightly more sober uh, than we were last night. Yeah, but we are more high on CES. We are higher on CES. If you haven't been, the Consumer Electronics Show is 120,000 or so people uh, all flooding into Las Vegas for about four days where they walk around in a convention center that if you grew up in a small town, the convention center is larger than where you grew up. And it's just wall to wall, a mix of incredible new technology achievements that are going to change people's lives, absolute nonsense vaporware, 
repackaged old shit uh, and stuff that will get someone you love killed. All all just crammed together in in this massive room the size of a small world. Um, and yeah, you just kind of go crazy slowly living in it. Uh, uh, this is Robert. Uh, you know me and Garrison. Hello. You know Garrison. And returning from part one uh, is Tavia Mora, our resident technological expert. Uh, Tavia, how do you, how'd you feel uh, in your second day out on the floor? Exhausted and excited to be impressed by stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that is what we're doing today. Today's episode, last time we talked, oh, keep that mic in your hand. Uh, last episode, we talked about the most obviously stupid products. So Tavia, I want you to start us off with what is a good product, something you saw today or yesterday that you thought that thing is fucking cool? Well, let's see. I think we were in the um, North Hall. It was in the North Hall that we saw this. Um, is a gadget called Wheel Me that was just a simple rolling platform that, that would track along where it was supposed to go on the ground. But it, what I saw on it was a road case, and I was very excited since I work in a lot of the event spaces. And when I have to move to and from kind of where we're like staging a lot of stuff to where the site is, it's really nice to have um, the extra help, the extra lift that was marketed pretty much directly toward me. As soon as I saw it, instantly wanted it. Could see a use for that. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like a potentially really useful thing. Obviously, the the mount that they had wouldn't be able to go up or down stairs well. But if you're moving across like a large warehouse space or something like yeah. the kind of place where a lot of events are held or a concert space, yeah. I could see it being... Uh, a real labor saver. And yeah. we did see there was another product there that was like, it was a delivery robot for like delivering food that they had built a way for it to go uh, upstairs where it basically had a large, maybe a two foot diameter wheel. And there were like plastic spokes. And then the outside of the wheel is like soft plastic, like the actual tread itself. And so it would just kind of bend to conform to the shape of the stairs. And it was able to roll smoothly upstairs on its wheels as a result of that, which I thought was kind of impressive. And that's one of the nicer things is like seeing like, oh, somebody really put some thought into that. That's a legitimately clever idea, as opposed to a product we didn't mention last time, but it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Uh, a guy who created smart plants, who 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 uh, who used the power of AI to make your plants able to communicate with you. So it's basically a huge plastic flower plant pets with a Z spelled with a Z. And basically, you can talk to it, but most of what he was doing was just molesting the plants. Yeah, it will. It has speakers in the the flower pot. So when you like stroke the leaves, it will giggle. <laughs> Like this is it was immediately like, oh, this is made for some kind of weird sex freak. Like so And didn't it like spin back and forth a little bit as oh, it was yeah. giggling? It like it, it shimmered. Like, it like danced the pot around. It made it made small little noises. It was it was quite something. And the guy was incredibly enthusiastic about his about his he talking his talking giggling plants. He was following his passion truly. You could see yeah. it in his eyes. And I will say the product worked. I'm just not sure it did work as advertised. I'm not sure who the product is for. <laughs> yeah. But it was one of the more functional <laughs> pieces of technology we've seen. It did. He also said that like when the plants were dry, it would like make the sound like a bu a bubbling water sound, which I think is a mistake. It should scream at you when you have not watered the plants recently enough. But I do love how clearly he was obsessed with the brilliance of this design. That is one of the fun things at the smaller booths at a show like this. Because, like, you know, you got, like, big companies, LG and Lenovo and Honda, all these massive 
companies with very slick, expensive booths. And then you have, in other areas, just like a little square that's just a crazy person with the thing that they've dedicated their life to building. And sometimes it's the most brilliant thing you've ever seen. And sometimes it's a flower pot that less, that giggles when you molest it. <laughs> sometimes it's plant pets. But it's, you, I always appreciate the fact that, well, at least you threw your life into this stupid thing. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, yeah. it's always kind of endearing. Like, yeah, yeah. No matter what it is, it's, <laughs> it's fun to see someone who's like figuring out life. Yeah, a man, yeah, you know who you are. You're the plant pets guy. Yeah. Is that a good thing to be? I don't know. That's, that's not reading aside. That's <laughs> that, not, yeah, that's not that's not on me. <laughs> uh, I mean, we certainly saw a lot of a lot of products walking walking the show floor today. Not nearly as many uh, metaverse products as there were last year. There were still some. I, I was finally able to try the haptics uh, tack suit, which I, I missed last year. Uh, this is it's, it's basically a vest that zips up. It's it's not as painful as some of the other haptic suits that uh, I tried out last year, which I kind of actually enjoyed the ones that are just like actually hurt you. Yeah, that like basically shock you in such yeah. a way as to simulate a stab wound or something. Th- like, that one, was cool. Yeah, Th- this one by B hacked. This one by B haptics was very user friendly. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really painful, but it it worked it worked pretty well. What, what else What else did we see walking walking into that big central hall? Oh, there was. There was that thing that I I wish was real but probably will never be, mm-hmm. which is the LG podcasting camper van. Yeah, so LG, the people who may, may or may not have made your TV, but there's a decent chance they did. They have their big booth. It's mostly like TVs and smart home connected entertainment stuff. But then they had like a concept product that was like a camper trailer. It was actually a really nice layout. But for what you know, camper trailers, they have all these little like cubby holes and storage spaces built into the sides and the back. And so underneath the bed that took up the back, they had like a folding down space where it was like, it was like stored a half dozen bottles of wine and glasses in a very like pleasing way. But then in the center of the wine and the glasses are two like recording microphones. (laughs) Like that's just like, they made a van for podcasting alcoholics. Um, And I, I I respect that. Very targeted audience there. Yeah. On the other side of it was a fold down panel that was like, a lot of campers have these. You can fold it down and it's like a table. But on the wall, like once you fold it down underneath the part of it that folds down, it's like a TV screen that they had tuned to like a fireplace, like a campfire video. <laughs> it's just like, if I am out in the wilderness, I am not putting on a campfire video. That's the most depressing thing I can imagine. <laughs> like, why would you do that? But that was fun. That um, was fun. In terms of like actually impressive things, there was a product we saw our uh, our first night out there, the Time Kettle. I don't know why they gave them up that name. It has nothing to do with what the product does. This is a translation device. Uh, specifically, it, it's like the Star Trekiest thing I saw because first off, it's a little retro. It's like a kind of a thick rectangular prism with a screen on it, and the the rep from the company was like a chinese man who who clearly was like spoke mandarin as his his native language and we had a conversation talking into this thing and it would translate and speak back to each other and there's like a little compartment on it that pops out and it has two earphones you could each put one in each person's ear to have like a live conversation that's translated over it you can also hook it in through your phone i know there's a couple of devices like that this is the one I've seen that like seemed both the smoothest and the 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 most kind of like purpose built of them. I thought it was really impressive and it's one of those you only you don't get those so often these days but like every now and then at a show like this you see a piece of technology that's like 
Well, this is what I assumed we would be doing with computers when I was a kid in the future, right? There would be an instant translator, a babblefish device that you could just fit in your pocket. And it is kind of fucking dope. And I, I thought it worked really well. Like I had a, I could have conducted an interview with this guy through that thing and it would have been pretty seamless, um, which, which was nice to see. Speaking of Mandarin, I don't know, whatever products you're listening to, there's like a good 30% chance they're made over in China. So support the Chinese economy. We're back. So one of the things we did at this trade show, most of the time we spent was not out on the floor looking at products. It was attending these different like speeches and kind of like panels, like where they'll have people from like, they had like one of Google's AI heads and like the head of McDonald's AI integration, which is happening for some reason. We'll talk more about this in our dedicated AI episodes that are coming a bit later. But on one of the panels, it was AI is the fifth industrial revolution was the name of the panel. They did not once talk about what industrial revel the other four were or why this one was they just said that title like five times they yeah. were very proud of it and one of the what, who was that lady garrison the alexa lady with the i with the iheart ai shirt yes or, there was um, a lady with an a shirt that said iheart is was she the dividend lady no the dividend lady was from um was was uh from the synthetic information panel yes yes oh sorry 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 that was the other panel yeah yeah, there was a panel on like deep fakes and AI harms. And there was a, a a lady on there who was like some sort of relevant expert, but she she kept using the term the liar's dividend to refer to the money that you make if you're a scammer. Um, and she kept using it and the way she used it, I immediately thought like, oh, this lady wants to sell a book, and that's the title of the book, right? Like that's very clearly she's mentioning it in such a pointed, unnatural way. That was my assumption. Apparently, the term has existed for a few years now. It seems useless to me because, like, if you're saying someone is a fraudster, well, the dividend is the money they make committing fraud. Like, you don't need to give it another name. It's not like that's like, again, it's like calling the money you get robbing a bank the bank robber's dividend. Well, that's just a stupid thing to say. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been using that for everything now. And now you are all enjoying the podcaster's dividend here. You know, that's that's what you're listening to. Speaking of listening, we tried... <laughs> good, good pivot, Garrison. Thank, thank Proud you. of you. Thank you. We call that the segue dividend. Um, <laughs> we, we tried... Uh, I, I know Robert's familiar with this, but I have not tried them out before until today. Uh, I think it's called Shokes. Shocks. Shocks. Yeah, the, the, that, I, I wear those headphones every day, yeah. They're like bone-conducting headphones. Bone-conducting headphones. So they don't go in your ear. They go a, around, mm -hmm. a, like, a, around the back of your head, and they... Mm -hmm. They hook around your earlobe, and they vibrate, and they can make you hear sounds in your brain. Yeah, which is pretty cool. They were they had, they just launched a new uh, waterproof model uh, targeting like swimmers. Yeah, it's and, like IP sixty eight or something like that. Yeah. like yeah, it's it's supposed to be you can submerge it for like hours at two meters of depth, so you can like swim with them on. But I really enjoyed these. Yeah, uh, apparently they can help some people who have like targeted hearing loss. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a an actually neat piece of working technology. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. If you're not aware of these, because when we say like when Garrison said you can hear sounds with them, they're just like wearing normal headphones. But um, we have a friend who is deaf in one ear and 
put them on for the first time recently. It was able to like hear out of that ear for the first time in years, which is like kind of an amazing thing to be able to do with a fucking set of headphones that are, they're not cheap headphones, but they're not like inaccessibly expensive. Um, all right, Tavia, you got another one you wanted to talk about? Yeah, there was this product that we ran into that was very close to the uh, tact suit that Garrison had tried on. And it's called 3D Desk. It looks to be like an additional add-on you can put on top of your desk that you would use if you were working. Um, the one that we had seen was a standing sitting style desk. And it has uh, the actual product itself on top of it, which looked to be like a stand. And it had two monitors attached to one plane of it. And then with like, I think a simple button switch, um, it would sort of like, another monitor would swoop out from behind them. And there was sort of like this cycling monitor arrangement that I hadn't quite seen before. And I work a lot with a bunch of different types of programs and I'm like more or less um, stuck to my desk most of the time. So this actually looked to be like another really useful product for somebody like me, not unlike the, the wheel me. Yeah. One of the, you can, if you've seen like a drafting table, right? Like those desks, it's basically a big desk that you can like push down so that like the desk part is almost parallel and you can like put stick paper and stuff on it. You can draw, draw on it. Like it's what architects use. It has that. So like underneath the, the monitors, there's this top desk piece that you can like flip up and you can put stuff on, like use it as like a drafting table or push it back down, you know, with the switch of a button. It's a pretty cool looking desk. Yeah. It would have like the two monitors and then this sort of like, this plane that would be sitting at like a 39 degree angle or so kind of from you. So you can mm-hmm. set a bunch of books up or a bunch of notes you're taking or organizing. Yeah. As a general rule, it was one of the, it like the products that I kept finding myself gravitating towards in our free time there was like anything that had nothing to do with AI because yeah. anyone who could, who could find any reason to stick AI in something like people, there's people selling like battery generators that are like AI assisted. And it's like, what do you mean? It means, means it cuts off the power when it's full. Well, unbelievable. That's, that's not AI. That's just a battery working better. Like, come on guys. Um, it's this thing the tech industry does that, that has, was, has been exposed by like a lot of the products we've seen this year, many of whom are like just absolute nonsense. Like the, the we head thing that, 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 that like hideous, <laughs> chatbot that looks like a broken human face and just deeply off-putting now that said there was a really cool product that we uh, uh that i actually like liked the the ai use application um so there's a company called celestron that makes they're calling it a um like a home observatory and it's it looks like a big telescope it's not cheap it's not insanely expensive for a telescope mind you but it's it's not inexpensive and it is like a motorized telescope that um, it uses like AI, like some sort of AI program in order to um, cut out light pollution and stuff and enhance the images that you're, you're getting so that you can actually get clear images of like galaxies and other planets from your backyard. And it hooks into like a phone or a tablet or computer um, like wirelessly, it actually generates its own Wi-Fi network. Um, so you can still use it even if you don't have internet. But one of the, what, what you can do is you could control it from like an iPad and you could port the feed directly to your TV and you could like direct, you could have like a group of people sitting around snorting whatever drugs you prefer to snort um, and like looking at different galaxies and shit in space. And that was pretty fucking cool. And actually like an actual application of machine learning that I thought was positive. 
Yeah, you can have like your little at home star parties. Um, I dug in a little bit more on like how AI gets used there, and it seemed like it was mostly part of the image processing um, before controls get set to the user, and they have like other adjustments such as brightness, um, contrast, that kind of thing. But it sounds like it does like some image processing as part of its AI um, capabilities. Yeah, and that was that was neat. Again, not a cheap product, but like actually something that seeing it used impressed me and I, I could see wanting to have that and I could also see like a clear bit my roommate has telescopes and stuff and there's usually the light pollution is too much of a pain in the ass and fucking even in Portland which is not the worst city for light pollution in this country to use them very well um, so something like that and also just being able to easily drop it onto your TV and like hang out with friends like if I had if I had, had access to something like that back when I was doing hallucinogens I think I would have used it a lot yeah, that sounds that sounds promising. Speaking of things that I would have used a lot as a young man, Garrison, you want to tell us about the hand job machine? Sure. So there's this company. <laughs> I just realized what you said. Yeah, it took you a second there, huh? So there's this company in Norway called Handy. <laughs> um, they they make they make interactive interactive sex toys um they they started by targeting the male sex toy demographic or as they uh, i i actually like that they uh that they actually uh, more often said the penist uh mm-hmm. demographic which yeah which was nice i appreciate um, that yeah but anyway it's uh <laughs> it's, a, it's a little <laughs> thing that you can uh, you can slide it a sleeve looks, in and it, it goes up and like, down it looks like a nice coffee thermos it does it has kind of like but a with like a little tube that has like a a clear plastic penis prism yeah, prism yeah. next I mean, to it, it. it yeah it, it has one has one it has like a has like a stroker sleeve attached yeah. in um and you can control like the speed and vibration just on on the little like thermos looking thing but the real features of the handy is that it also has hands-free control that <laughs> you can you can hook this thing up via an app to many different like sources, you can hook this up to whatever you're watching on your computer. You can hook this up to movies. You can hook this up to an Amazon Alexa if that's your thing. <laughs> um, and this, <laughs> the sounds will will uh, impact how the how the stroker moves. Um, the the one of the more promising applications, which it really also opens opens the field of music, is that you can hook it up to like your Spotify or something. And the music and like the beats and the rhythm will impact the vibrations and speed on the stroker. So we can now learn which songs are best for orgasms, which opens up a whole new whole new category for the Grammys. Um, I think there's a lot of trial and error. I think 100 Gex is definitely going to be up there. I think Nickelback is going to make a comeback. Yeah, this is going to be the Billy Joel Renaissance. Just just people spilling ropes over Down Easter Alexa. Jesus Christ. They also uh, just launched a second product called, I think, just uh, the O, uh, which is just a more classic small handheld vibrator. Um, s- similarly, like the Handy, it's, it's based on actual like sound vibrations, not a motorized vibration. So it sim- similarly can, ho- can hook up to music, and that changes the way it feels. So um, we, have, we have not been able to test these yet because they didn't actually have free copies. They only had they free sleeves. They did give Garrison a penis sheath. They only, they only had the free sleeves, but uh, the actual device is $200, which is not, is not super expensive cons- uh, considering this style of like sex toy that is kind of standard. 
Yeah, so, yeah. I, that was that was one of the the more professional booths actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in CES, and they this did, is they did a really good job. This is a good time for me to tell my favorite masturbation machine story. Oh, so boy. there's a product. Oh boy. You know, for the penis having demographic, there, there's not as many sex toys traditionally, not as many at least fun ones uh, out there. It's 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 a little bit of a barren wasteland. Um, but there is the fleshlight. And if you haven't seen a fleshlight, maybe you've heard about them. It does look like a big, heavy plastic flashlight. And you unscrew the top, and there's a fake vagina in there, right? Some of them are shaped like asses. Some of them are sex asses. Sometimes they're a butt, and sometimes they're a mouth, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's mouths, too. And I once had a friend who got in some trouble with the law, and we had to drive to their house and grab a bunch of things in their house and throw them away um, because we weren't sure if the police were going to be showing up. And so after we did that, that night, it was a very depressed, very sad night. And we all got extremely drunk. And three of the four of us are standing out on the front porch in front of like the house that we're at. And then the fourth person in the room, who was like roommates with the person who had just been arrested, comes out with the arrested person's fleshlight. And for reasons known only to them and God, hurls it at us. Now, we're in like, this is a, we're in Richardson, Texas, and like, it's kind of this walled off by concrete bricks little front porch area and we all bolt to get away from the fleshlight and it hits the brick wall and the plastic case shatters and then the thing hits the ground and the fake plastic silicone vagina inside of it slithers out like like a living creature <laughs> probably lubricated by by some sort of substance <laughs> and it was one of the most unsettling moments of my life. Wow, I'm really glad you could share that with us, Robert. That's, I bet the sound was incredible. That's it great. did, yeah. It it um it sounded a lot like uh, if you've ever seen that episode of Always Sunny, where um where Danny DeVito gets birthed from a couch, like covered in sweat. It sounded a lot like that, I imagine. And we call that experience the fleshlight's dividend. <laughs> the fleshlight dividend. That's right. Now, speaking of jacking off. The next product we're going to talk about is Jackery, a company that makes some really actually pretty cool like survival equipment, specifically like solar battery, solar panel and battery setups. And we're going to talk about that because it's definitely like of the products we saw here, the most in our milieu as like a, yeah. the world is falling apart show. Um, so we're going to get to that. But first, here's some ads. We're back and we're talking about Jackery, which to, it's fun. One of the things I appreciate about this is that the hand job machine could have been called Jack the Jackery or the company could have been called Jackery. And likewise, the company that makes batteries and solar panels could have been called Handy because it's handy to have a solar battery around mm. when you're camping. Curious. Yeah, interesting. Curious. Interesting stuff. Yeah. A lot of thoughts there. A yeah. lot of thoughts to be thought That's of. A, it, odd, oddly, that Venn diagram crossover is <laughs> is closer than I thought it would be. Yeah. So Jackery is a cut. I, I would recommend Googling their stuff. They make, there's a lot, the field of like solar batteries and panels is super crowded right now. And most of the batteries you're going to are going to be made in like one of the same two or three factories. It's basically the same factory makes a bunch of companies' batteries. And a lot of them are very unsafe. There was a company that sent me some review samples, like a whole solar generator and battery. Uh, last year that I was going to kind of do a piece about, you know, surviving on a solar generator. And then a month after it arrived, while I was still testing it, it came out that they had burned down a bunch of people's houses because the batteries were unsafe. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, so you want to be careful with this stuff. Jackery 
is one of the, I have had good luck with some of their products. They seem to be of a high build quality. I have not heard horror stories about them. When you go to the the, the, their booth, the people there seem to be genuinely knowledgeable. And the way in which they set it up and demo it suggests a degree of knowledge about the product and like what people want out of it. So one of the things, they do have some really large, including some like so, some solar batteries with generator with solar panel generators that are large enough to run like a deep freeze, um, which is really cool being able to do that. And the setup they had specifically was a like an actual like serious like solid like not one of those folding panel setups that goes on the roof of your car or truck um alongside with like a, a tent like one of those Fiat truck talk tents for overlanding and then plugs into you know either their 1000 or like 2000 watt solar generator or yeah so or, or uh, battery generators and just everything about the way it was set up seemed really practical it seemed durable it didn't feel like something that was going to fall apart yeah. i i can see it being like a legitimate like even outside of the the car, because that's m- more or less like a hobby sort of thing. But having one of these generators that you can actually run your fridge and your freezer um, and your lights in your house they off like, of, like they had some like in an outage microwave stuff, cooking implements, yeah. uh, other other kind of stuff you might take for like yeah, like a, like you know like a a weekend mountain trip or something. Uh, the main the main roof mounted panel I think uh, was able to pull four hundred watts. And then it had two sliding out panels that can pull 300 watts so that they could get I, I, in a hot in, in a in a sunny day. They said you could get like 900 watts an hour. Yeah, which is exactly. Like really like nine, good from 900 a, a to 1000 yeah. watts an hour, uh, which is which is quite impressive. And they have all the batteries to store it. And by, by far, I think Jackery is the most consistent company in this field that I, 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 I routinely see high praise for because the field of like portable solar so, like solar charging is kind of a, a little bit sketchy sometimes. Yes. Um, stuff can easily break. Things can be really easily yeah. overmarked. Um, like I had a solar panel to, to, to charge my iPad that really only lasted like two weeks and it just completely stopped working. But uh, I've, I've only heard, good, only heard good things about Jackery. I have not tested them out myself. I know Robert has some of the, Robert has some of their battery equipment, but hopefully we'll be able to get our hands on some of that uh, this year. They also had a lot of different form factors um, of the same types of products, so a lot of smaller versions of things yeah. that uh, seemed to be really good if you need a kind of more modular setup. That was for sure. Yeah, they had like large ones that you could basically have plugged into your house in case you lose power for a small period of time in order to like ensure that you don't like you don't actually have a period where the power's out. Um, and then they had a lot of like really good camping, sort of like off grid battery options it's just cool take take a look at the if you are if you are someone who is in the kind of financial situation that you can prep in that way where you're you're get you're buying like solar equipment and batteries which definitely is never super cheap right um i would recommend checking them out at least as you kind of do your research there's like two more products i think i want to mention uh the first is shift this is a company i was already familiar with but i got to try these out they look kind of like roller skates but they're not roller skates. They they are these sort of boots with motorized and locking wheels that attach onto your shoes. And their use case for this is like factory workers. It makes them be able to, it makes them be able to walk and move. They said two and a half times faster. Considerably faster. I, I I was able to walk at a at a pretty at a pretty decent speed. You can you can uh, lock the wheels if you need to like do more like delicate mobility tasks. Go upstairs. Stairs, ladders. That was one way to even lock and unlock themselves from being used it was like a certain gesture you had to make by turning 
you lift up your heel, I think it was, and it locks the shoes so the wheels don't come in. You lift, yeah. li- lift up your heel and twist, and, and it... And, and, yeah, and the I, boot itself had a hinge that was just under the ball of your foot. Yeah, so I, I've, 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 I've seen these before. They look they look kind of fun, but they're for kind of factory work. So it's, 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 it's kind of a mixed bag where the device worked quite well. It, it, it took me like, just like maybe like, like one minute to get used to it. Then I could, then I was really smooth, but the actual operational use case they're envisioning is like being able to get, like get more, get more productivity out of their workers. For the um, same amount of money. For the same amount of yeah. money. So like, yeah. I think uh, Robert made a pretty good comparison. Like last year, we tried out this exoskeleton, which also, you know, they, they talked a bit about uh, a little bit about productivity, specifically for like again f- factory workers. But that exoskeleton was also designed to help that worker not damage their body. Like it was, it, it was to make sure that they actually can st- can stay safer and not do as much damage to their knees, their joints, their back, versus these little roller skate type shoes. Yeah, I've I've no such have no such uh, it, ability. It, it, I mean, it would it made you go faster, kind of like one of those walkways that you have in the airport. Yeah. Who doesn't want to go a little bit faster? Yeah, that was the way the guy repped it too, where he was like, "We have these factory workers. They're like, I have the best job in the company now. It's so fun skating around on these things." I, nobody said that to you, bro. <laughs> like, don't lie. It's a nice thought. He he also claimed that there's not been one fall or injury with these things on, which I just I do not believe yeah, because I, I almost that. fell down to testing these out. I'm sure if you're carrying like heavy boxes, like it's it, it's very easy for your weight to get o- to get away from yourself when you're literally walking on wheels. Again, it it can be it, controlling it actually is more intuitive than I thought it would be, but mistakes happen and they. Yeah. Those those sorts of big claims are a little bit uh, a little bit sketchy. I found myself kind of waving my arms a little bit out in front of me to keep my balance. Uh, I wasn't like hundred percent confident on them. Yeah, yeah. It, just watching you both, it, I could see like, well, yeah, people are going to get hurt. Now, I don't. I, I am sure. I because it, it it seems to be easy enough to use that. I suspect it would. You could really get a lot of extra money out of your workers as an employer using these things. But at the cost of some, some of them are going to like fucking eat shit and hurt themselves, which is not like in the grand scheme of corporate evil, especially at this show where everybody's like talking about the potential of AI to eliminate tens of millions of jobs. Not really. It doesn't really scan. And I think we're still putting this on the good episode because like they worked in a way that was technically impressive. We just found it kind of upsetting that they were bragging about like you can get more money out of your already exploited workforce with these. Yeah. But. I could see someone just getting these and because they would allow you if They're you like, like, yeah, if you, if you live in a walkable you a, know, a city, walkable, you, city yeah. walkable neighborhood, it can make your yeah. commute times much faster and still probably safer than like you less risk, maybe than like a bike or something like yeah. that. Yeah. want to yeah. see somebody wear those at a roller skating rink. <laughs> so yeah, that's called, that's called shift robotics. I believe they're based out of Texas. Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I, I want to talk about for both mine and Robert's job, we use a lot of computer screens. Um, I, I'm looking in Robert's hotel room right now where we're recording. He has a laptop hooked up to a second monitor. I have a yeah. very similar setup. I, I've, I, have, I have a laptop and a secondary monitor on my desktop. I have like three or four monitors always running at the same time just because of the absurdity of what <laughs> our work sometimes entails. Mm-hmm. So it could be hard to get things done on a single screen. And we saw this one product that looked just like a, like a very like thick keyboard with a, with a touchpad. 
but it had these uh, like uh, AR glasses attached. Now, AR is a is a tricky field. We we tried a lot of AR stuff last year. Most of it, some of it was okay. Some of it was a little bit finicky. But this company was called Sightful. Yeah. And what what this basically was is that it was a fully functioning computer, but instead of a in, instead of just having a regular display, it has a display built into these uh yeah into these glasses. The product itself looks like just the bottom half of a laptop, like yeah. the keyboard part that holds the PCU and shit, with like this weird flappy thing attached to the keyboard part that holds like a set of glasses that are are plugged in directly to the laptop. That's how it like looks. And when you put the glasses on, you get like four screens that pop up. The screens aren't too big, they're not too small. You can change the size by uh using using the touchpad. And this required a lot less uh like like a like a focusing. Like you usually when you put on AR AR glasses, you have to kind of dial in the focal length to make them look right. Uh, but this was all very clear. The text was easy to read. Changing from one screen to another was pretty was pretty easy. Uh, they had they had a they had a pass through mode like a lot of good AR does. They had a mode where you can lock the screens in place. So you can turn your head and they don't move. They had another version where you just with like keystrokes you could turn your head and the screens follow you. So it was it was a pretty it was a pretty useful device. Yeah, you could press a button and it would go the screens would disappear. Like if you're walking while using it, you can press a button and it would go clear so you wouldn't see but you could see where you were walking. Pass through, yeah. Like I typed a, an email or two and like did some googling on it and I very quickly adapted to the screens being virtual but still using a physical keyboard. Yeah. I I we, we didn't get like motion sick with it. Um it, it was not now I think this is like either the first or second iteration of this product. First there, there I think is first to market yeah. the first. Yeah, the, I think there is some ways to improve. Um, it runs its own Android operating system, uh, which, you know, if you're trying to download applications, the fact that it can't run Windows or Linux or even Apple's system, uh, you know, that, that that could be a bit of a limitation. Uh, it only had like 200 and two, it, 250 gigs of it of, wasn't really a full uh, storage and power. It's a, a little yeah. bit beefier than your phone. Yeah. Right? Uh, the company, the product, by the way, is called uh, Space Top. Yeah, Sightful is the company. Space Top is the um, is the uh, the actual product itself. And yeah, I uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep our eye on it. Yeah, I wouldn't buy the first gen of this thing. It's about twenty two hundred bucks, which is like upper mid level cost for a laptop. It, it it my issue is that based on how expensive it is, the laptop itself isn't powerful enough to justify that price. Certainly, the fact that you know I, I can act like I have four monitors uh, wherever I go that that is that is very convenient. I think I just need the laptop to be a little bit more powerful, especially with how many tabs I have open at, at all times. Having only eight gigs of RAM just will not cut it. But I, I'm certainly certainly hopeful that uh, we'll be able to see small improvements going forward. Indeed. Yeah, they had mentioned it um, as being a web-first uh, device instead of anything else. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it's like a Chromebook, and I think, in, time, in terms of like its actual yeah. efficacy. Very yeah. similar to a Chromebook, like, operation-wise. Yeah. But my hope is that, like, the kind of technology they've developed, it will get, you know, the, the, if it's successful, they'll make more... Pro- now, I do kind of worry about how successful it will be, because, like, Garris and I were both like, oh, this is perfect for what we do... But we have a very specific use case for our machines. Yes. I'm not sure yes. like how many other people are in our position, but I was really impressed with just like how well it immediately worked. Yeah, no, yeah. I was I was happy with it. You can hook up an external monitor if you, if you want to. Um, so that's 
That's nice. And I am a glasses wearer. And so one step that they had for me is that they took my glasses and approximated my prescription. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah. And yeah. they slid on these magnetic um, sort of like eyeglass pieces onto the headset that you're wearing or like the glasses that you're wearing. That way I could actually use it without wearing my prescription glasses. Nice. Yeah. And that was really, it, it's stuff like that that lets you know the people making something didn't just, aren't just like trying to rush some shit out the door to make money. Like, oh, you put some thought into that motherfucker. I appreciate that. And this all leads us to easily the best product of the entire show. Honestly, the only one really worth talking about. Garrison, will you hand me the flying car brochure? God. So, Jesus Christ. This is the CES of flying cars. Robo taxis is the term we heard a lot. We went to a panel that was like serious people in the robo taxi industry which they admitted does not exist by the way advanced air mobility advanced I believe air was, mobility was the acronym aam yeah no there are several companies that are using effectively like these are some of them are like ultralights there was one of the companies that came here bragged like you can buy buy a plane that doesn't require a pilot's license because it's so light but it's still a plane which seems like a horrible idea to me but there are some real companies who are like testing out electronic aero taxis. Some of these are, this is not vaporware. These products exist. Now, what doesn't exist is the legal framework to allow people to do this. Like the, the panelists were like openly like, we want this to be an industry, but yeah. first there have to be, it has to be legal. <laughs> like yeah. right now yeah. we don't know. Like they, um, they're still trying to figure out like what the rules are going to be. They're hoping by the end of this year, the FAA puts out like a temporary rule set about how robo air robo taxis work and also how, they called them vertiports, which is because these are all vertical takeoff and landing craft. They, at least the one that we saw at, on the show floor mm -hmm. looks like a silly, uh, looks like a Lamborghini yeah. with a massive drone, like a DJI type drone, to yeah. The top. And that that's the one I want to talk about because all of those were real products. <laughs> the X Pang Aero product, in my opinion, is absolutely not. It's built as a low altitude air mobility explorer, and yeah, it looks like. A huge drone like you'd buy at a fucking um, Best Buy attached to a Lamborghini. And apparently the whole drone part, all of the rotors fold back into yeah. the body when you're driving it as a car. Like a, like a transformer. Like a transformer. And the reason why I say this is the best product in CES is not that I think it would work or be safe. Because we talked to both two, their PR rep and the person who was told to us is their technical expert and neither of them could answer if it had airbags. They did say probably. They did say probably. <laughs> Which isn't, isn't what you want to hear. <laughs> no, no that sh you should have that answer. That's not a tough question. That's no. not a gotcha. No, Does I your car have airbags? First, first, the PR guy that we were talking to was very open about knowing almost nothing about the technical mm -hmm. aspects of this yeah. device. And then when we talked to the technical person, they too didn't know very much about it. No. Like, <laughs> Which just isn't very reassuring. Like, and I even tried to do it the easy way where I was like, well, I know ultralight aircraft you don't need a pilot's license for. So do you need, is, does this qualify? And they were basically said, no, we don't know. We don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, it'll take some kind of license, probably. What kind of range does it get? They said 20 kilometers by air. About which, 20 minutes per charge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which seems like a dangerously short amount yeah. of time to be flying you and a loved one, potentially, in a thing. It is it is pretty low low altitude. I think they said it maxes out at around a hundred meter, meters. hundred no, no, they no, said a hundred meters. One hundred meters. Yeah. Sorry, so it, it's really not for going up super high. And I, it, when we went to the more like expert panel, mm -hmm. 
Um, a lot of these use cases for this, they imagine is kind of replacing helicopters in cities. There's like medevac use cases, but a lot of people were talking about like testing these things out in New York where rich people use helicopters to get around the city. And th this is what they want to replace them with because these can be uh, purely electric. Um, these can be much more, because these can be much quieter. So that was what a lot of what they were talking about. Yeah. Um, however, again, most of the panel was just them s s just complaining that the government hasn't oh. done enough work to make this a real industry. Garrison, I got you. You're not aware of this. Toffee just handed me the uh, the flyer we got from them that I don't think either of us read through. Here's their story. Oh, oh boy. Sail beyond limits. In 2013, Zhao Delhi ignited Erot with a daring dream to turn the enchanting broomsticks of Harry Potter into oh, tangible oh, wonders. Oh, no, no. A tribe of daring minds set forth on the thrilling journey of crafting electric marvels that could take humans to the skies. Through tireless exploration, the first ever prototype, the flying motorcycle, gracefully... <laughs> this is all a Harry Potter thing! This flying is motorcycle? Some, some madman from China fell so in love with Harry Potter that he made a death car. <laughs> I'm back around to average, loving it again. Average, <laughs> average tech industry guy, brain poisoned by Harry Potter, creates death device. I feel like this guy and the plant pets guy are probably like pretty tight. They're both the same kind of Why man. is there so many apocalyptic tech based around Harry Potter? What's going on in this industry? And it is, so the other brochure they had, it shows like the flying car the modular flying car, which looks like a cyber truck. It does look like if a If it had truck. like, you know, you, you can get a truck, you can put like a, a bed cap on the bed. Sure. It's basically like a big, it's like a cyber truck with one of those, but the bed cap opens up to deploy like a, a quadcopter thing that human beings can ride in. Kind um, of like Soundwave in yes, Transformers just with like laser Soundwave and wow. Which is like, it's a cool idea from like a kid's point of view. I think the idea here is that, you know, John McAfee used to do this thing where he would live in the desert with a cult of weirdos and they would fly around on gliders until he got his nephew and an old man killed in a glider crash. <laughs> this is this is the dream no, yeah. of that Harry Potter fan. I mean, I th this th the reason why I'm actually very pro this product is because the only people that are going to use these are really rich. Yes, yes. And I think there's a high chance this could take out a yeah. lot of them. This this has the best chance of dropping multiple billionaires of anything since the deaths of <laughs> like, like falling we could... <laughs> up from a hundred meters in the air. <laughs> just crashing out of the sky in Santa Monica and San Fran. Billionaires just taking out whole lanes of traffic. Imagine, just, imagine you're walking through the park one day and a billionaire comes flying down from the sky yeah. and lands in like a $2 million drone. <laughs> the prototype that they say they got to fly was two tons. Wow. <laughs> you could really do a lot of damage with that. Well... This so, is this this is all quite exciting. Keep your eye on the sky, folks. Maybe wear a helmet for a while until this all shakes out. Like, there's the story in the news right now that like some dude in Portland had the fucking door of that Alaska Airlines flight in his backyard, and I can't wait until that's like a third of Elon Musk just like lands in someone's yard and like two million dollars. Oh equipment. yeah, yeah. And it, by the way, if if fucking a billionaire's carcass winds up in my lawn, I got a new punch bowl with their skull. I'm going to harvest their That's bones. That's what we call the billionaire's dividend. That's the billionaire's <laughs> dividend. Well, all right, everybody. Um, 
anyone, Tavi, you have anything to plug? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter or X uh, at C-U-T-Mora. Or if you want to learn a little bit more about me and my interactive and immersive work, you can see my work at taviamora.com. You can also see her work in my book, A Brief History of Ice, uh, where she did all the illustrations, or in my book, After the Revolution, where she did all the illustrations, or in the sequel, which will come out when I finish those last two fucking chapters, uh, like three years from now, huh? Or in Vegas, yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right, well, we're done. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.